All right, episode 107, Hotshot Scott is here. You were kind of touch and go this weekend. There was a lot of finagling on schedules. <laughs> yeah. Are we recording a Labor Day edition on Sunday night, on Monday night? Are you going away? Are we getting in the way? And, I, and the end result is I'm fearful that my reputation, my already soiled <laughs> reputation in the household of Hotshot Scott and the Soden family has taken a hit like you guys had to rush home to be able to do a Monday night recording for a Tuesday morning release. Yeah, it's taking a hit, I think, a little bit around the house. Yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a lot of work, and that was one night away. What if I go to Hawaii for 10 days? What's going to happen well, then? Well, then we'll get somebody else. We could have gotten somebody else this week, but it didn't seem like you wanted to go that route. Well, yeah, if I'm around, you, I like to do it, you know. The, the old rule on the, on the morning show I was But you on, really weren't around. Well, I'm here. Where, where were you? I'm, I'm yeah, but, here, right? but, I, I, but I feel like I had to rush you out of where, where yeah. the hell were you? We were at a place called the Skamania Lodge in Stevenson, Washington. Familiar? See, I thought you were in Oregon. <laughs> Why did I think you were in Oregon? Well, like like Seaside or Cannon Beach or no. the Wafer Inn or <laughs> some place in on the coast in Oregon. No, what you, you do is you go south down we, we, into Portland and then you hang a left and you just go west and then the lodge is right on the Columbia River. You know how the Columbia River separates Washington and Oregon? I've been told this. Okay. I've been told this. I really don't know that. <laughs> it's, it's actually in Washington, but you could throw a rock across the river and hit Oregon if you have a good enough So arm. you're saying that you actually go to Oregon, you leave Washington, go to Oregon, then take a left to go back into Washington? You can. That, we did that just because we wanted to see that. We wanted to see Portland. Piper had never seen Portland. I mean, just, we just wanted to do it. But okay. on the way home, we stayed in Washington. There's a highway that runs parallel to the, to the river. And where is this place? It's, where, it's, it's on a map. Where would this place be? It's literally on the Columbia. Yeah. On the Washington side, about 45 miles, I'd say, inward, east. So you, you get down to the Columbia River, just take a left about the last, 45 the miles. The last town in Washington we go by is Vancouver, right? Vancouver, Correct. Washington. Yeah. And then you end up in Oregon. You go over some bridge. You're there, magically. And you're, yeah. in, you're in Oregon. Yeah. Where are you in relation to all that? I've done that trip a million and six yeah. times. Go to Vancouver and then hang a left. Hang a left. Hang a left and just go east 45 miles or oh, so. I see. And I, I went see. through Tanya Harding's hometown of Camas, Washington, and I didn't see her oh, hanging out. Oh, I thought out. she was from Oregon. She's not from Oregon. She's from Washington? Yeah, I think she's from Camas, yeah, if oh. I remember correctly. Oh. But I didn't see her. I was looking. Did you yell? <laughs> I did. I yell out, out the, the window. window. <laughs> yeah. Tanya, where are you? We want you on the show. <laughs> but this, this lodge was great. It was, I had a, we had a great time. It was only one night away, but it's re- it was amazing. If you've ever been to Suncadia, it felt very... I've not been to Suncadia. Right. I went by Suncadia on a trip that I did to a couple of places. I went to Leavenworth. Yes. And I went to the Wenatchee River. That's right. Two, two different trips. trips. Okay. I yeah, don't right. want to stop making that into one two trip. For one that, nonsense. No, 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 no. So did you so you went on what? Sunday? We left Sunday morning, yes. And what do you do at a place like this? It's you a great just, question. You just gaze into the Columbia River? Well, it was beautiful. Or do you go into the Columbia River? Do you get on a boat? Do you get into the water? Do you do some tubing? What do you do? You get on a raft? You can do all that stuff. What kind of adventure did you do? Uh, We went in a pool, and now I can't hear out of my left ear. That was about the extent of it. You didn't have the drops that I used to get at camp as a kid? Is that a thing? I put you. Yeah, there was a thing. And that works? Well, back in, I don't know. I think it was for ear infection. When I I first went to my first day camp at like age six, I remember. You, you would have to get out. Everybody got out of the pool and you lined up to get your drops. They oh, would wow. drop a little something into your ear. So you don't, don't get know. an ear infection, I guess. Not, I not guess. To, okay. I don't know. I don't know. So you can't hear. Not out of my left ear, no. Because you were in the Columbia River. Well, I was in the pool. There was a pool there. Why did you have to go to the Columbia River to go into a pool? <laughs> well, you did 
I could have I could have had you go to my next door neighbor's house, and then we wouldn't have the shenanigans. Well, we like with when we're going to record episode one hundred and seven. We like we like staying overnight. It's fun, and she buys the s'mores pack, and you sit around a fire, and she makes s'mores oh, at see. night. And we went for a little walk. It was really hot, and, and you knew that this is where you wanted to go. You wanted to go to this town yes. on the Columbia River because it seemed to me that you were all over the map. Late last week when yeah. we were recording 106B. It was last minute. We didn't know we were going to go until like okay. Tuesday we booked it. Because like I said, now that we're petless, except for the Russian tortoise. That's true. You're taking advantage. Taking now. total advantage oh, of it. We're just getting out of Dodge when we can. And would you recommend this to our audience? Absolutely. I've never seen that part of the state. It's yeah. just gorgeous. The river and the views and the lodge. Everyone was really nice. I don't think I could find that part of the state on a map. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd never been there either. <laughs> they also had zip lining and they have oh, like Oh, did a, you do that? No, I'm not. Nothing will fit. I'll break. So, you know, I'm out. But the people zip landing across the parking lot, that looked pretty cool. I'm trying to get the visual. So you went to this place and how long it takes you? Probably two and a half hours a little, to get there? A little longer. To go at a pool, to go into the pool at the, at the motel? <laughs> well, the view's nice. Were you in a nice hotel? Were you in the yeah. Best Western Plus no, no, in Aberdeen? Where were you? <laughs> it's a lodge, so okay. it's it's very nice. Right. Yeah, no, it's great. We had nice dinner and views, and we took a walk. Well, welcome home. Thank welcome you. back to episode 107. Thank you, and I've, I've showered with chlorine water. That's the last water that's touched my body, so you'll be happy to know. You are a little gross, <laughs> a little disheveled. A little. <laughs> uh, subscribe, listen, and give us listen. Subscri- <laughs> subscribe, listen, and give us a rating and review if you don't mind apple Podcasts, spotify and google Podcasts. this and all other 106 episodes of mitch unfiltered can be heard on all these these platforms that i mentioned apple spotify apple Podcasts. become a patron now if you listen to episode 106 or 106p you know if you're just joining us for the first time in this episode 107, maybe because it's football season and you're mm-hmm. jumping back into Mitch Unfiltered because the Seahawks are getting ready to travel to Atlanta to face the Falcons in an empty Mercedes-Benz <laughs> dome in Atlanta. It's here. At 10 a.m. on Sunday. Believe. Maybe you're jumping back in. You don't know this and you're not a patron. Non-patrons, my offer stands. And we've had a lot of, pay- we've had a lot of people take me up on my free September. Great. I started the offer last week on episode 106. I'm I'm doubling down on the offer. Anybody out there who's listening that wants a free membership, a free patron membership, just to see what we've been doing the last two years yeah. and what's available to the patrons, I'm offering a free September. And it's very simple. There's no commitment. There's no catches. It's I'm not gaffing you. I promise <laughs> right. you. All you got to do is send me a, a note, an email at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com straight to me, and I'll tell you how you do it. Essentially, I'm buying anybody who wants one that's not a, a patron already a $5 Mitch Unfiltered, Patron September, so you can not only experience what we do in September, but as soon as you become a patron, you then have access to everything we've done over the last two years. I'm proud of it. I'm excited about what we've got up there. Great guests, great P episodes. We have golf instruction. We have fantasy. We have a lot of different bonus content, and I want to open it up to the world to see, and I'm willing to pay for people to do it. And you've been kind enough to also yes. send the link if they don't like what they hear, and they can cancel their right. subscription. I don't want people to think, oh, this is Mitch's way of getting right. us to sign up, and then we're going to forget. So what I do when everybody emails me and says, I'd like to, like, if you email me at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and you say, I'm, I'm a non-patron, my name's Charlie, and I'd like to... <laughs> I'd like to try, I'd like to take you up on your offer. What I do is I say, here's what you need to do and keep these instructions. I'm sending you the instructions. And I literally give them the step-by-step right. instructions <laughs> to cancel 
the subscription so that you don't. And I'm, I'm going to try to remember. I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to do this. This is not a guarantee to on the last day of September, email all those people somehow, some way and say, don't forget, cancel if you don't want October. If you didn't yeah. like it or you don't want to go on with this, cancel. Because I don't want anybody to think That's right. Mitch is just trying to. Which, I am I am hopeful that you'll like it enough to voluntarily be a patron in <laughs> <Right>. October. <laughs> so. A lot of businesses do that, though. So people are probably, you know, can be skeptical. And I see why a lot of businesses probably just assume you'll just you'll sign up for something free and just forget to cancel. So I haven't well, always thought that that's if that's you want to do that. I'm like not going to I'm not. That's OK. Too. <laughs> but I, I, I don't want that. No, I, I want you to like it and want to stay. Yeah. And I do send the instructions to cancel very clearly. It's not like in some small print. It actually <laughs> says, here's how you cancel anytime yeah. you want. OK, hopefully you stay with us, though. We would love it Yeah, because I think we do good work. Yep. I think the the patrons would tell you. And by the way, I think I said this on 106 P. I, I wrote a note to the, the patrons that have been around for the last two years because I was fearful that somebody would be put off by this. Oh, that's that the right. the patrons would say, oh, my God, Mitch, you're giving non-patrons the month of September. I mean, what about us? What do we get? I mean, right. I was afraid I was going to offend those people. I don't want to offend our, our, our core audience. And everybody, I've gotten one email after another from all. The current patron saying, good for you. Give it away. We want more people That's to great. see it. More people. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We want it to grow because if it grows, it means you guys will do this show even longer than maybe you intended to do it. So everybody has been great. Great. I love Except it. for one guy. Is that right? No, I'm <laughs> That would be great. Frank in Tucson? <laughs> yes, is that Frank in Tucson. <laughs> wants them to pay double for That's September. Right. <laughs> That's the first announcement. The second announcement before we begin, and this is going to be an a, I think a great episode 107 because I've got Hotshot who's rushed back from the Columbia coast, the Columbia River coast, or whatever the, the you Columbia call it. River, yeah, the Columbia River yeah, to yeah. be here. I've got three guests that I think you're going to love. Okay. One of which is a recurring guest, and it's the beginning of football season. So Brady Anderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, going over all the things the Seahawks have done or not done. Jadevi on clown. He's got all kinds of inside information on how close the Seahawks at the last minute were, uh. or maybe not, to getting Jadevi on Clowney to come back instead of going to Tennessee. We're going to get you ready for the big game in Atlanta, the start of the NFL season. Final roster decisions, Shaquem Griffin yeah. being cut and then brought back. Saw practice squad so good. practice good, squad. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff we've got. Great. That's a recurring thing. But the other two guys, Lorenzo Romar, ah. first appearance ever on Mitch Unfiltered. Oh, is that right? That's right. Nice. First appearance Welcome. ever on Mitch Unfiltered, the head coach of Pepperdine, my friend Lorenzo Romar, to talk about all the racial unrest. He's got a lot of perspective on that. Talk about John Thompson, who passed away. Oh, the right. Talk about Lute Olson and all of his battles with Lute Olson right, who passed yeah. away. So we've got Lorenzo Romar. And if that's not enough, he's second. Brady Henderson is third. And if that's not enough, guess number one. Okay. None other. Well, his name is Michael O'Keefe. He's an actor. Yeah. You don't know him as Michael O'Keefe. You know him as the one, the only, Danny Noonan from a little film we like to call Caddyshack. The Danny Noonan? The Danny Noonan. Really? The man who starred with Rodney Dangerfield, Noonan. Ted Knight, Noonan. Bill Murray, and Noonan. Chevy Chase. <laughs> That's amazing. And Caddyshack. Caddyshack is 40 years old, just celebrated its 40th ah. birthday. And I thought, 
let's get Noonan on. Perfect. And he's trying to caddy. Actual, he's trying to actually caddy in the U.S. Open. He has sent like notes to the golfers who are competing in the upcoming U.S. Open. He <laughs> wants awesome. to caddy at age 65. Love it. Because he grew up at the course where they're playing the U.S. Open, Wingfoot. He actually grew up caddying before he became an actor. He was a caddy, a kid caddy at Wingfoot, and that's where they're playing the U.S. Open. So he's perfect at age 65. They think of me as a caddy. Now, the interesting part about him is something that you don't even know. Okay. He was, he was um, nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Oscar the year before he got the role at Caddy. Everybody knows about Is that right? Yeah, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, the four, right? Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Rodney Dangerfield, Ted Knight, the yeah. four comedic geniuses. Right. And then this young kid who looked about 18 at the time. Well, he was 25. He was not 18. He was 25 when he did the role in 1979 of Danny Noonan. And he had just been nominated for a film that he had done the previous year at age 24 for a, a Best Supporting Actor nomination. How many of the four comedic... What? How many Oscar nominations do the four comedic actors have total <laughs> combined amongst them? Wow. Bill Murray may have one or two. Don't I don't know. know. Yeah. I don't know. That's amazing. What was the movie? We heard of it? It, it was... I don't remember. 1978. Uh, I don't have it in I can look it up. You can look it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, Danny I, Noonan I, is I, our guest on episode one of It's Saturday. amazing. Because I just saw... I was watching an old college football game, and there was a college football player at Nebraska named Danny Noonan yeah. who went on to play in the pros. I think won a Super Bowl. He was an offensive lineman. And I, and I just sent yeah, that to my friend. Yeah, I think he played friend. for the Dallas Cowboys, That's if right. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think it was the Cowboys. Yeah. This is a different Danny Noonan. I, I hope that, you're going to be okay with it. I can't believe there was another guy named Danny Noonan. No one loves that movie more than me. No one. I oh. love that movie. Doesn't everybody love... Isn't that movie... Would you say... Okay, if, if I had not told you that Danny Noonan was going to be, the actor who played Danny Noonan was going to be on, <laughs> if I had not said anything about Caddyshack, and I just said to you, I should have done this. Rats. All right. I should have just said to you, the most successful or the most popular, the most popular yeah. sports comedy in the history of motion pictures. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I can't think of what who would even be the number two. The first thing you would have said was Caddyshack. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's probably the most quotable movie, at least with fans of it. Yeah, I can I could quote fifteen lines. Cost six cost six million dollars to make. Is that right? Cost six million dollars to make. Rodney Dangerfield once joked that he made thirty five grand. They gave him thirty five <laughs> grand to do that role yeah. of Al Cervik or Cervik, Cervik, right? Cervik yeah, yeah. right? But he had to give up a month's worth of stand up in Vegas. Which was like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So he he came out minus right. ninety ninety thousand on cash. Well, I would say that movie shot him up. Yeah, a it was little. his first movie. Yeah, he it was, was his first real movie. Great, so great, and that led him to all the other back to schools and you know all the different oh yeah all the different Roddy skyrocketed stuff. him yeah, right up. That's right. Now yeah. I'm no expert, but Danny Noonan looked like he could swing a golf club a little bit in the movie. Is his swing not too? Sh now the other kid, the kid with the black hair, <laughs> that looked like me swinging a club. That was terrible. The story is that Danny Noonan. Could not really play golf. And when he got oh. the role, he had to do some cram coursing back at Wingfoot where he was a <laughs> caddy. He got one of the pros to start teaching him wow. a better swing because he had to have a better swing for caddy. I thought it actually yes. looked pretty good, though. Oh, it looked very good. Oh, it did. Okay. Oh, yeah. So it you very agree. good. But he, he tricked us. He totally fooled us. <laughs> he fooled us. So he's 65 I years old it. now. Good for him. Living in California, I think. And by the way, he's been in a million other things. Is that right? People know him as Danny Noon. He's been, since then, he's been on radio, in, uh, not radio, he's been in television film on the on the in theater in new york i mean he's done a he's had a million things Good. he's had a long uh, and thriving acting career he's worked with a, a bunch of great great 
people. Anyway, he's he's our guest on 107. So and I'm excited about that. Maybe on the next show we can have his girlfriend with the awful Russian accent in the movie. You Lacey remember? Underall? No, 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 not Lacey. No, that. Oh yeah, that's the short hair girl. <laughs> she had that horrible. Why did they have to give her an accent? What was the point of that? It was so distracting. We talk about the sex scene with Lacey Underall. We talk about <laughs> the cocaine on set. Oh, there's legend. Oh, there's. He talks all about it. They all just stayed down. He in talks Florida. about who was serious of the four guys and who was not. Ah. He he talks a lot wait. about different things. I can't he wait. tells us his favorite scene. His favorite scene. Okay. Yeah. Now, who do you think? Who do you think stole the movie? When you think of somebody in that, I mean, there's so many great characters. How could anybody steal the movie with those four guys? Yeah. How could anybody steal the movie? I mean, who Who do you think owns it? Who jumps out of you? Is like, yeah. Th- I think Murray is number one. Really? Yeah. Don't you think? It's It's tough. I mean, I, I think I think Ted Knight is so. He's well, just, they're all great. I know. Rodney Dangerfield right, is unbelievable. Yeah. Hey, 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 it's hard to pick. I'll have a couple of those naked lady teas. <laughs> yeah, and, right. you know, hey, let's dance. <laughs> you know, the whole thing. Oh, yeah. They're all great. Yeah. You know, and, and Ted Knight with the, the baptism of the uh, oh, uh, that, that poem. So great. Yeah. When your ship comes in. When your <laughs> ship comes in. Right. Right. But I think if you had to say who who was, who who ended up being number one, I would think it would be Bill Murray. I think it's Bill Murray's character. I don't know. He's don't great. Know. They're all great. Ted Knight. Hmm? 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 <laughs> so amazing in that And movie. there's no gambling at Bushwood. <laughs> you people have homes. <laughs> I love it. Anyway. I'm excited uh, for this. Danny Noonan it's is great. on uh, this episode 107, <laughs> along with Lorenzo Romar, one of my all-time favorite people. We've got a lot to talk about. And Brady Henderson on the start of the NFL season, in particular the Seattle Seahawks. One other thing before we start the show. Beat the boys. Yes. Are, okay. I was thinking for weeks and weeks and weeks during the summer, we've got to do something during the football season, some sort of a con. You know, I come from a radio station for 25 years who all we did was games. Right. Games and contests. (laughs) I'm not sure that they were ever particularly effective or impactful, but every year we did games and contests around all of these different seasons. So I was thinking... We've got to do something for Mitchell. We didn't get a chance to do the college basketball tournament this year because there wasn't a pool, there wasn't a tournament. Yeah. I wanted to do something in the NFL season for our listeners to compete again, a little pick'em contest. But A, I wanted it to be very, I had two prerequisites. Okay. It had to be super, super simple, number one. I didn't want it to be complicated and right. take a lot of people, a lot of time to do it, or I don't understand. I, I wanted it to be as simple as humanly possible, number one. And I wanted to tie it in selfishly to listening to the podcast. Okay. I wanted to give it, give the people who listen each week to this Monday show, in this case, Tuesday, the episodes, the free episodes, I wanted to give them an inside track to prizes. So here's what we did. Here's what I came up with. This is the best I could do. Simple and to the point. We're calling it Beat the Boys. You and me are the boys. You yep. and I are the boys. And we have a graphic. I couldn't believe we have a graphic. We've got all kinds of graphics. It's amazing. We have two graphics. My arms have never looked bigger. Yeah, you look good in that jersey. You look good in that jersey. You and I are the boys. Okay. Okay. Every week during the NFL season, how many weeks are there in the NFL season? 17. There are 17, yes. 17 regular season weeks. Every week during the T section, we'll come right out of the gates with it before we even start the show. I am going to identify three NFL games. I'm going to pick them. Three, I'm about to give you the first three for the first week. Ooh. Listeners then, 
They go to the website. All you got to do is go to MitchUnfiltered.com. Click on the big banner on the top that says Beat the Boys. Can't miss it. You register once. You get a password. You get a username. Boom. You then each week listen for the three games, and then you pick them. No spread, no nothing. Easy. The spreads are going to be listed on the sheet, but you're just picking the winners. It's just for guidance if you want to know who the favorites are and all that. If you want a little bit of help. Yeah. There's there's for entertainment purposes only, there's the spreads there. (laughs) Okay. I am literally going to tell you the three games each week. I'm going to say, go put in your picks for these three. Obviously, if you don't listen and you don't hear which three they are, you're not going to know which three they are. Correct. Because this is the only place that I'm going to tell you what the three games are. So you have to listen to at least to the T section, the beginning of each of the podcasts on Monday. I'm going to, and so there's 17 weeks. There's going to be three games a week. That means there's going to be 51 games over the course of the season. Yep. You and I are both going to pick them each week if you'll remember to do it. And <laughs> what the hell if I remember to do it? Well, you might be on like the Columbia River somewhere. Okay, it's actually a fair, a fair concern. I might forget one week. <laughs> All right, fine, go ahead. And then it's a simple competition. Anybody, I repeat, anybody, I could go broke with this. I'm hopeful it's not going to be that too many people. But anybody who gets more right out of the 51 than both you and me, you got to beat the boys. Yep. Anybody who gets more than one right or, or more right than you and me yep. get a prize. I love it. Very simple. And the prizes will, uh, you know, I'm, I got a whole assortment. We're going to get Mitch merchandise. We'll get page, free patron months. We'll give out uh, gift certificates to Daniel's, dif- di- gift certificates to Taco Time, gift certificates to Zeke's Pizza. Great. We'll just get a bunch of prizes, and we will give a prize to everybody in our audience who, over the course of 17 weeks and 51 games, get more right than you and me. What about carry it? End of story. Mitch comes over and cuts the grass at your house. Is nah, that that's one not going to be one of the prizes? <laughs> that's not one of the prizes. No. Okay, fine. I'll do it then. No. You sign me up for no, it. No, no, no. That's <laughs> not going to be one of the prizes. You'll be somewhere away. Now, in the past, we've done some contests and we've used, I think, the same website. It is. So, it's runmypools.com. Yes. Run my, Bill, okay, Bill great. Sanders, he's terrific. He and Brett, they do a great job. They've offered their services to us. They've gone out of their way. They've bent over backwards. What can we do for you? They've done golf pools with us. They've done NCAA pools with us. Now they're doing an NFL pool. They've been terrific. Yes, they're running the website. Okay. And it's linked to MitchUnfiltered.com. Top banner, bam, it's easy. My question is, if people have done contests with with us in the past, they may already have a login, so they don't have to it, create I, a new I one. I think it all works. Okay. I think it all works. Yeah, so if you've but done then, something with us in the past, try your... You'd have to log in the same way, but then you'd have to find the... the well, no, pool. Yeah, yeah, just please the, go... The beat, the, beat the boys' yeah, pool. go through the Mitch Unfiltered dot com website right but once you get there you right. may already have a login because right. you may have joined us in the okay past, so, so i'm about to i'm about to give you the first three weeks the first week is here thursday night crazy thursday night baby. i know we're here the texans and the kansas city chiefs are playing a thursday night game with nobody there <laughs> for the first game of the nfl season all right i'm listening so here are the three games very simple seattle seahawks atlanta falcons in atlanta 10 a.m Dallas Cowboys at Los Angeles Rams. Okay. Pick that game and pick the first game between Drew Brees and Tom Brady with wow. Brady in his new his new fancy uniform, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at New Orleans Saints. Again, Seattle Seahawks at Atlanta Falcons, Dallas Cowboys, LA Rams, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, New Orleans Saints. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com, click on the button, go register, and then just pick the winners 
of those three games. That's no it. spreads, just pick the winners. And do that each of the 17 weeks if you can remember to do it. Check us out and then go make your picks. There'll be 51 picks over the course of the season. Beat both the boys, you and me, yep. and you get a prize. I've already made my picks. I'm I in. have already made my picks. Really? I might change them. I have Texas Tech over SMU. <laughs> you're not supposed to tell people what your picks are <laughs> okay, now. Good. Don't get, don't tell people. No, what no, your I picks, won't. I won't. All right. But I'll tell you that that's a tough one. The Tampa Bay New Orleans is tough. I love it. And I'd like to thank our our presenting sponsor of Beat the Boys. It is Fireside Home Solutions. Remember, football season is fireplace season. Start your search for a brand new, beautiful, heat throwing, energy efficient fireplace at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Obviously, I'm stoked with the guest lineup for this episode 107, but none of these Mitch Unfiltereds are possible without our our partners, our sponsors, like the Kirkland Office at Guild Mortgage. You are absolutely giving away money if you don't at least consider the incredible numbers now on our refinance. 30-year fixed loans in the high 2%. Call Jordan Flowers and his team, 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, a major step back on Wall Street this week after an incredible rally the last few months. Is this a time to step back in? You need to trust pros like Evergreen Golf Call to help you make the right decisions, which will be felt by your family for many years to come. CEO Tyler Hay will be back with us here on episode 107. EvergreenGK.com and their free newsletter. Zeke's Pizza, all 17 locations open. Extra safe precautions, dining in or pizza and growlers straight to your door. It takes like three clicks with the Zeke's Pizza app, homegrown in the Northwest. And Daniel's Broiler, three of the four locations open. Bellevue, South Lake Union, Leshy. Leshy still offering the $40 bottle of Vuv Clicquot Champagne, which is normally $145. My family finally got back to the Leshy location outside on the deck last Friday. It was phenomenal. Remember, Daniels does offer delivery and pickup if you don't want to dine in. Daniels Broiler World-Class Steakhouses. This is episode 107 with Lorenzo Romar and Danny Noonan and Brady Henderson all coming up, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. Tiger bought all these eyeballs. Yeah, he, he brought sure all did. this money. He bought all this sponsorship money. He bought all this endorsement money. He brought all this contract, television contract money, which comes to purse and everything else. You would say that whoever was the second best player of that generation was the greatest recipient of what Tiger did. And there's no question Phil Mickelson is that guy. Unfiltered. Josh Gordon was the easiest guy for years and years and years and years to make fun of. There was not an easier punching bag than Josh Gordon. And then you do a little research or you read up or you talk to somebody like the Sports Illustrated guy who spent time with him and learned a little bit. You find out about what this kid, what this guy dealt with as a little boy. And you're like, your heart is broken. No kid in the world should have to endure what he did. Mitch is unfiltered. Okay, now that we've gotten a 25-minute tease out of the way, you know about Beat the Boys. Make your picks at MitchUnfiltered.com. Beat us and win a prize. Very, very simple. I've told you about a free September for patron. I'm out, I'm out of material. I got, I got nothing you left. You got nothing left? Oh, I got plenty left. Being very generous, you yeah, are. Yeah, you got contests yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, free yeah. months. Yes, and, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I want it to be fun. I want Mitch Unfiltered during the football season to be fun. We love football. 
Okay, before we get going, I know we got a lot of Seahawks stuff to talk about, a lot yep. of moves. Yeah, I have a quick, final roster set. I've made a decision. This is a quick PSA oh. for our listeners. Oh, now I don't know if you know, I'm in charge of traffic in the Washington area. No, I did not. Oh, know you didn't that. know that? I thought Tracy Taylor was. She's my vice president. Yeah, she's she's right below <laughs> I think me. You're her vice president. <laughs> Let's make that straight. I've decided the new passing lane is now the far right lane. You know how typically it's the far left lane. But people just refuse. No one got the memo, apparently. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of people going 61 and a 60 in the left lane. I passed more cars in the far right lane. So I'm announcing it now for everyone. If you want to pass, it's now the far right lane. Because there's dipshits who won't get out of the left lane. It's, it's, you can you go kind of sp- whisper dipshits. Well, I don't know. Your kids are out. I don't know. I'm trying to be respectful in your house. But you could go 61 in one of dipshits. one of three other lanes. Dipshits. Why the far left one? Well, let me- what is that impulse? Yeah. Beat it. Well, you're not oh. even supposed to stay in the far left lane, are you? Technically, I don't think you are. It says for passing only, right. I think. So I think if you're in the left lane going like 100 miles, let's say you're going 100 miles an hour in the left lane. Yeah. If there's nobody in the right lane or in the middle lane, let's say there's nobody in the middle lane, it's okay. late at night, you're going 100 miles an hour. You're not supposed to be in that left lane. You're supposed to be going 100 miles an hour in the center <laughs> lane unless you're passing somebody. Well, right? I'm always passing somebody then. That's what I would tell them. I'm well, constantly passing. there's nobody passing. on the roads, okay. then you're not passing anybody, and you got to get yourself back into the middle lane. Now, you're not supposed to be in the left lane, but there is a carpool lane sometimes. Yeah. And people think just because they have two or more, they have to be in that lane to go 59 in a 60 and make me want to kill myself. Please don't. But now the far right lane, I hear you. the far right you're lane frustrated. is frustrated. You, you just were driving four back hours there and back. The, uh, I, I can't take it. What is that impulse to be in that lane? You know, it's the passing lane. Did you get the JBLM traffic right there? At oh, I- oh, my God. That takes a long time to get through. The Chehalis and Trailia, that so whole mess. I don't know mess. about the Chehalis and Trailia. It's just you, south you of JBLM. Steve were talking. Yeah, that's what I was talking yeah. I, I think of that as the, yeah. the JBLM Because it goes all the way not, through JBLM. And, and as soon as you get to the other side, like the like the north side of JBLM, then yep. you can do, it's just... And I don't understand why does the traffic... There's, no there's one no knows. It's a huge mystery. I don't get I'm that. like, oh, we're going to come up yeah, on a bad wreck. Nope, nothing. And, and then, by the way, there's... Were you, the, by the, the way, were you snarl. the one that wanted to make this show for the people in Kansas City and Cincinnati? <laughs> Are you done with Chehalis and Centralia well, no. and the Columbia River? I'm, Are you finished yet? I think people all over the country can start driving in the right lane. Just forget it. We tried. No one took. No one got the memo in the left lane. Hot thing. shot. It's episode 107. Stump the band. Oh. I'm going to start you off with a stump the band question. I want to test your football knowledge. Oh, Are you ready? Okay. Who leads the NFL since 2012, so for the last eight years? Okay. If you took every wide receiver that's played in the NFL for the last eight years and you compared how many yards per catch each of them had. Now, you can't, you can't have a wide receiver who's had like five catches. Right, there's got to be a minimum. minimum right, yeah. but, but essentially, yards per catch. Who is the leading receiver since 2012 in total yards per catch? Not for a season. Yeah, yeah. Over, over those there, eight over those years. Eight over years. those eight years, which wide receiver in the NFL has the highest yards per catch of anybody in the NFL? Ready? Is he on the Falcons? Da, 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 da. No. Da, da, da. Are you looking for hints? We don't do hints on something. Antonio Brown. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> He's on the Seattle Seahawks. It can't be DK Metcalf. He it's played not. one year. It's not. Really? Yeah. He's on the Seahawks, but he's not eligible until he gets reinstated. Is it really Josh Gordon? It is Josh Gordon. 17.2 yards per catch. Is that right? The number one yards per catch man since 2012 in the NFL of all wide receivers who have the 
the the prerequisite minimum catches. We didn't talk. There about you him. go. There's your stump the band of the of the day. We didn't talk about him signing the one year deal. I know we were both pretty pleased when we saw that. So well, they need to, they need now to to let him play. The NFL has to let him play. It does not look like, although we don't know what's going to happen this week. I can't imagine that he would play in Atlanta against even if they yeah. were to reinstate him. Let's say on Wednesday this week or Tuesday when people are listening to this or Thursday. I can't imagine that he would be ready to be active. Yeah for the Seahawks in the first game. But I, I'm thrilled they brought him back. I can't wait for the NFL to reinstate him. I'm just going to hope and pray. I'm not even hoping and praying for receptions or yards or 17 points or touchdowns. I just want to I, I just hope that he's able to 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 keep himself clean right. and stay around a little bit, earn a paycheck and just yep. continue, you know, recovering from what was a, a terrible youth. A terrible, terrible youth. Be around a whole group of people who care about you and love yeah. you and try to keep you especially Russell yeah. Wilson. Great guy to be around. And like you said, make that money too. Yeah. <laughs> and know. then we bring Antonio Brown in. <laughs> One at a time. Those guys go to the club. <laughs> right. Um, the Seahawks roster is set not a lot of not a lot of kind of uh storylines or interesting storylines to the final cuts. Some intrigue. Paul, well, Intrigue, Paul, Paul Richardson got cut. I don't think anybody expe- expected him to make the team. I hate to say, I was like, he's still on the team? They just brought him back. Okay. I they was, brought him back a few weeks ago. You were Paul probably Richardson. in Oregon or <laughs> Idaho or some <laughs> yeah. other place in the Columbia River. Um, yeah, they brought Paul Richardson back. Okay. He didn't play much. And they got rid of him. And they cut Shaquem Griffin, which was sad. But they brought him back, and he cleared waivers, and he's now on their practice. Oh, floor. great. I'm glad that right. he's getting to play with his brother right. still. And, yeah, that, that was a bummer. That, that's, that's a tough cut, isn't it? John Schneider earning his money that day. Yeah, the, the twin of a player who's already on the team, he's got a disability. With I mean, He's an inspiration to oh. so many and so many kids. It's hard. I, but that's we talked about this. I don't know. I must have been on the, the radio. It must have been on the radio when, he, when they – I can't remember when they drafted him, but if I was still on the radio. But we talked about the day that they drafted him, mm-hmm. whether it was on here or on the radio – the day that they drafted him, they made their bed. They they put themselves. They they knew mm-hmm. that hey, this was going to be very difficult. This was going to be an un, an uncomfortable situation if he doesn't succeed. Yeah. If he doesn't have his moments. If he's not productive. If he's not, it's going to be hard to cut that guy. Right. Yeah. Okay. When when he has all the things that he has. So I'm glad he's back on practice squad. That's he's great. back. He's with his brother. Yep. He's with the team. Love and the, the rumor is, is that at some point they'll finagle him onto the active raw. He'll be playing in games. He'll I still games think there's something special about him. I still think his speed is incredible. He's just, I don't know. I, th- I still think there's something there for him. Those are the only really two interesting. I know this. They cut the fullback and they brought him back on on Monday. Yeah. Um I think the bigger news clearly is, and I've got good news for you. You don't have to look for Jadeveon Clowney to be trending on Twitter anymore. <laughs> he it's is. finally over. That guy, would, he, he would like Sean Payton's Instagram. <laughs> and it's like he was, he's, That means everything, apparently. It's over. Yes, it is How over. How many months that. have we been discussing this since last season? Yeah. How many days, how many hours, how many minutes have radio stations and TV stations and how much print in newspapers and on whatever you call the, the internet – how much time has been expended on the Jadeveon Clowney story? He has decided he's playing with Tennessee. He got a one-year, like, $12 million guaranteed contract with an opportunity to make three more so he can make up to $15 million. The Seahawks apparently, and we'll get the inside scoop from Brady Henderson on okay. this show in the, in the third interview segment because he's got a lot of inside info, he told me, that he'll share with us on how close the Seahawks. Seahawks jumped in at the end. Oh. There were two teams, like the Saints and somebody else, who were trying to do sign and trade deals like they do in the NBA. Yeah. 
But the NFL said uh, put the uh, kibosh on that. They said oh, they can't do that. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, at the at the end of the day, he gets his one year twelve million dollars, which is less, by the way, than the Seahawks offered him three months ago when they were trying to resign him and he wanted twenty one million dollars a year. Yeah. He ends up signing for less than what they offered him at the time. I think they offered him one year 14 or 15 million guaranteed as opposed to one year 12 million guaranteed. And he didn't take it because he didn't think that was the money that was his market. He waited, 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 fired his agent, then brought his agent back, then fired him again. <laughs> Every and Labor then, Day, he fires an agent. And then, <laughs> and then here he is signing for a yeah. de- signing a deal. That the, now, the Seahawks tried, if you believe what everybody's writing and saying, they tried at the last minute. Mm. Schneider called in before he actually signed with his left hand. He's a left-hander. Signed okay. uh, signed the contract with the the Titans. Uh, Schneider tried to steal him, try to get him oh. to try to convince him to come back one last time. It would have been so out. great, so great. Because I was going to mention to you, I, I look at the D line, and it problem. doesn't scream pass rush to me. It's a problem. Yeah, and it may be the problem at the end, like it did, like it was last year. It may be the problem. It may be the the one piece that separates the Seahawks from being a good, solid playoff team like they've been the last few years to a Super Bowl contending team. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, the one encouraging thing is that L.J. Collier's on there because he, he did nothing in his first year. It's encouraging that he's on there? Or it's well, inc- he could have definitely been on the practice squad. No, or, no, no, no. He's not, that's not going to happen no, to a no, first-round no, pick? No, no, no. He was going to be on the roster. I wait for other. I, I, I need nothing. more. I need more than that to be encouraged about L.J. Collier. All right. Well, Jaron Reed's got a full training camp. He didn't have that yes, he did. the previous year. Yes, so he does. Maybe that's something. Well, they've got they've got guys. They've got Quentin Dunbar who should start at the right corner. He has not been suspended by the league. I've been waiting every day to wake up to the news that the league is. He has not been suspended. I don't know if they're still investigating or what the situation is. He's apparently available. To the Seahawks on Sunday <laughs> against the Falcons. Quickly, come on, go! Now go, he did go. miss some practice this week. He went back for a funeral, and that's not that's, right. that's not easy because you go back to a funeral, then you come back and you got to go through all the testing protocol again. Right? Yeah. It's not just flying back and forth, right. but uh, he'll be available. And that's why Pete hasn't named a starter, right? He has not named a starter at right corner, but you got Jamal Adams making a Seahawks debut as a safety. Yeah. You've got some reasons. Bruce Irvin is back. Benson Mayo is back. You've got some reasons to be somewhat encouraged, but I would have loved to see Jadeveon Clowney back. <sighs> and I don't know who I blame more about this. Okay. I kind of blame Clowney for not knowing what his market value was. He clearly missed what his market value was. And if he understood his market value three months ago, the Seahawks probably would have been able to get it done. So on that, on that level, I blame the player. But... I don't know. One year, 14 or 15 million guaranteed would have gotten it done. At the last minute, if the Seahawks wanted to give him one year, 14 or 15 million at the last minute, they probably could have gotten him back. Now, they didn't. I'll, I'll, I'll just say this. That I'm going to be watching Greg Olson very, very closely this year. Okay. They decided that they wanted to give this guy who was headed to the broadcast booth. He was headed to like Monday Night Football, wherever he was going. Yeah. He was, he was getting ready to retire. 
they decided to give that guy seven million bucks, five and a half million guaranteed, and then another million and a half in incentives. Okay. Seven million bucks. That was seven. So my question to you is, how important is Greg Olson going to be on this team? Is he going to be important enough that it messed up the Jadeveon Clowney situation? Because if they had his seven million that they yeah. gave him, and they and they slid it over towards Clowney, they probably could have gotten Clowney done at the end. I'm watching Greg Olson. I've seen too many. And I'm not, look. I don't know anything. Somebody might tell me, hey, Greg Olson's going to catch 70 balls this year. He may. I've seen so many, and so have you, so many guys that have been great football players try to stay on for one more year at the end of their careers. Yeah. And how does it normally How does it normally play out? Yeah. It's pretty rare that they, they, they pull a Bernard King where they just out of nowhere get there's, good again. There's a part of me that wonders, football. is one of his legs out the door? Was he thinking retirement? You gave yeah. him $7 million bucks. Especially on a team How with good? four tight ends. Yeah, but they didn't know about Disley. Disley yeah. And everybody's hurting. The guy from Stanford's hurt, whatever. I'm watching Greg Olson. I connect for whatever reason. My warped mind, all year, <laughs> I'm going to connect Jadeveon Clowney and the pass rush to Greg Olson. I'll probably be the only one in Seattle that's doing that because what does Greg Olson have to do with the pass rush? Right. For, for some reason in my deranged mind, my lunatic mind, Greg Olson and Jadeveon Clowney are connected somehow. But remember, <sighs> remember, Jadeveon Clowney, for everybody that says he wasn't a great pass rusher, he only had three sacks. First of all, he was better than his sack total in the pass rush. Yep. Okay, there's no question. He was much more disruptive than three sacks the in the past. teams rush. he takes and, and all that. And, and, and don't also forget that everybody said about him, for years everybody said, that he's the best defensive edge guy against the run in the NFL. Now, that's not as sexy as pass rusher, yeah. but he was he's one of the top defensive linemen against the run in the NFL. And with him last year, with one of, if not the best, defensive linemen against the run in the NFL last year. They gave up 4.9 yards a rush, which was fourth worst in the NFL. With him. Right. So. <laughs> That's how they were last year with this insane disruptor. But they've got Bruce Irvin. They've <laughs> yeah. got Benson Mayoa. Maybe Collier's better. Maybe Reed's better. Tell me about your Jamal Syracuse guy. At, Jamal at, my Syracuse guy can rush, rush the passer. Okay. There's no question about that. I don't know what kind of a run stopper he is. Jamal Adams is supposed to help in all facets, both run and pass and yeah. blitzing. And so we'll see. I'm going to go in with an open mind. But I'm just telling you, I would have loved to see Jadeveon Clowney back here and some – Somehow, some way, I connect Greg Olson to him. <laughs> That's the I one. I don't know. Not Jamal Adams, though. I mean, you you you, no. make, you make that deal no matter what for Jamal. Well, Jamal Adams, Adams came with a three something million million. He was yeah. making less than Bradley McDougald is. Yeah, the money right. for Jamal Adams has nothing to do with Jadeveon Clowney. Poor Greg I'm Olson. talking about a one year seven million dollar deal for an aging tight end who was ready to retire. What you could have done with that seven million dollars? Wait till the ball pops off his hands. It could have been a first down. You're going to come unglued, <laughs> jump right out of your chair. And then you're going to pop over to the the, the game. The Clowney's going to have oh, four sacks. God. <laughs> uh, so how are we feeling about this team overall overall how are we, how I'm are we excited feeling? I'm excited about them I'm excited about them I think they're going to be I think they're going to be really good ultimately offensively now I use the word ultimately because I'll tell you what my concern with with them is offensively okay and that is offensive line they've got all these new pieces along the offensive line including uh, Posick, who's going to now start at center instead of Finney, who they brought into play center, but apparently that hasn't worked out very well. Okay. I worry about a brand new offensive line with new pieces, 
learning each other, getting into rhythm and sync with each other with no preseason games. Yeah. That scares me early in a season. I think they might have trouble on the offensive line early in the year. But ultimately, I think they're going to be plenty good enough on offense. The quarterback's great. The two main receivers are great. Mm-hmm. I hope that Dorsett can stay away from this foot injury, but he's supposed to be fast and great. Yeah. Maybe they'll get Gordon back. Maybe Greg Olson will be what he was in Carolina. Maybe I, I think I think Carson will be good. I think Carlos Ahide will be good. I, I really do think their offense is plenty good enough, especially if they, as they like to say, let Russ cook. <laughs> yes. Which I don't get. I don't know where that came from. It's, it's like a term that's been going around for it's five tri- or six it months. It drives me a little bit of crazy. One person says it. And they would, never... If they would just <laughs> let him play in the first half of games and not just the second half and yeah. not just handoff, I think the I still have questions about the defense. I think they should be improved. I love Quentin yeah. Dunbar on the right corner to go along with Shaq Griffin on the other side. I think their two safeties are fabulous. Yep. I think I think Bobby Wagner still has some good years left. I don't know about K.J. Wright anymore. I don't know what Bruce Irvin has. I worry about that defensive line. Yeah. Is that defensive line going to be stout against the run? Is that defensive line going to get any kind of heat on the quarterback? Are they going to have to roll the dice and blitz everybody to get any kind of heat on opposing teams? I worry about the defensive line. And ultimately, if they fall short of expectations, I think it'll be because of the defensive line. Now, I will tell you something that you and I discussed a long time ago when people laughed at me. And you should have laughed at me, but now it becomes more serious a conversation. You don't laugh at it anymore. The haircut you got? No. Oh. Besides the haircut okay. that I got. The schedule. Remember when the schedule oh, came out yeah. and I said I love the yeah. Seahawks schedule? And you're not really supposed to look at schedules when they first come out because who really knows? Right. Okay, now it's season time. I still love the schedule. Works I think the favorite. Seahawks yeah. have a great schedule. I was looking at a... You know these websites like ESPN, they have the power poll. You know what the power poll? The power they, rankings. Power right? rankings. Yeah, yeah. Power rankings where they rank every team that they think, yeah. whatever. And I don't know if those are any good or whatever. But I just They took are one, fun to look at, though. I took one. I took a sampling of one, well, one of them, and they're like ranked fifth. Overall. In a power poll. That's great. Which is great. Yeah. Right? But here's the thing. You look at their schedule. <laughs> their schedule is really soft. Yeah. It's there are there are 11, 12, God knows, maybe even 13 wins in there. I mean, there's there's 10, 11, 12. Wins. Guess how many teams, how many opponents they play in the top nine of the most recent ESPN power rankings? Of the top nine. How many? Uh, how many opponents? Four. Dose. Uh, Niners. Niners, Cowboys are uh, the only two teams wow. in the top nine that they play. They play the Giants. They play the Dolphins. They play the Jets. <laughs> yeah. They play the Washington Redskins. I saw somebody play, picking the Dolphins to win their division. I know, Peter King. But they, they're playing <laughs> They're playing. Of uh, the, the Rams are supposed to be not as good. I mean, they, they have an opportunity in front of them schedule-wise yeah. that I really, really like. But so we, People do that every year. They look at the schedule. And but, it never makes sense. But then the Cardinals will win 12 games out of nowhere or something, you know. So, yeah. we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. Can't so, wait, though. It's here. It's here. Did you watch any college football over the weekend? I forgot that it was on. I did too. But nobody played, right? Nobody. Uh, yeah, there was no, no, no good teams played. right? I don't think there was any big games. Yeah. No. Well, there weren't big games, but did any any of the big teams play? Like the top twenty five teams I don't even think play? So. I tweeted yeah. out about the WNBA, and then someone, of course, wrote back and said, "You know, college football's on right now, don't you?" And I was yeah. Like, All right. I kind of. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Do you feel any different about watching it 
with no fans and knowing they're not getting – I don't know. To me, I'm feeling a little different about watching college football. What about watching in the NFL then? Why, are you feel, why aren't you feeling the same difference with the NFL? Because they get paid and they get paid a lot and it just feels different to me for some reason watching You're more excited students. about the NFL than you are about college football. I am. And maybe because my team, I root for the Huskies, aren't playing. playing. That's kind of weird. not playing. It just feels weird. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't rush to watch any college football. I want to reserve my opinion – for a week. Let me watch a game, an SEC game or a Big 12 game or what have you, an ACC game. Let me watch a game with two decent teams on TV with no crowd, and then I'll tell you how I felt on the following Monday. Okay, gotcha. All right, we have three guests. Noonan. Danny Noonan from a little film we like to call Caddyshack. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Lorenzo Romar's first appearance on Mitch Unfiltered and Brady Henderson Seahawks ESPN Insider. Great to visit again with Jordan Flowers, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. And I have to say, I've been trying to get Jordan out on the golf course for the last several days, weeks. But every time I ask, he tells me, I go to work at 5, I come back at like 11 o'clock, I have no time because I'm so super busy doing refinances. Here he is. So the only way I get a chance to talk to him is right here on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Jordan? Yeah. Hey, Mitch. It's good to talk to you, buddy. Tell me what it is that you're doing from 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. that you can't get on the golf course with your buddy Mitch Levy. (laughs) Well, uh, as everybody's reading in the news, incredibly low interest rates right now. Rates are at all-time lows. Refinances are through the roof. Volumes are spiking to record levels. And, I mean, we've got purchases and people buying homes left and right right now. Tell me more about the numbers. I know it somewhat depends on the applicant and credit rating and everything else, but give us a broad sense of why things are so crazy, busy, and at least good in your world, and why people are racing to refinance and to buy. Yeah, I mean, with your with your purchases, you're finding rates anywhere between two and a half to three percent on thirty-year fixed mortgages, and on refinances, you're pretty much in the same realm, depending on your loan value, credit scores, equity position. So, you're looking at rates. Mid twos to high twos right now. Wow. So everybody's saving hundreds of dollars a month. Okay, so they call you at what number? And how long does that conversation need to be before they get off the phone and they have something to consider of whether they want to go through this process? So the office line, my direct line is 425-250-3145. And my cell phone is 425 890 2957. It's a call that's no more than about five to seven minutes to get an overall understanding of um, where you're at currently in your mortgage, what the rates are, what your rate currently is, and what uh, your monthly payment is. And we'd run a couple numbers and you're on your way. It's five to seven minutes to get the basic information going and decide if it's worth your time to move forward. 
There he is, Jordan Flowers, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. On July 25th, 1980, 40 years ago, a movie that cost $6 million to make was released to theaters nationwide. It starred Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, Ted Knight, and our next guest, the movie Caddyshack, the most popular sports comedy in the history of motion pictures, I think. And joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is a man who's had a terrific TV and film career, none other than Danny Noonan himself, actor Michael O'Keefe. Hey, Michael, great of you to be with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Hey, I didn't realize we were on the Zig's Pizza show. Can I get a slice <laughs> while we talk? You can get a slice of Zeke's Pizza. Come up to Seattle and we'll, uh, we'll treat you anytime. You know, I was stunned. I was stunned to read last night that not only were you 25 when you played the high school caddy, the infamous high school caddy, I would have thought you were 19, but you had already been nominated for an Academy Award, correct? Yeah, that was back in the 20th century, you know, when they gave out those kinds of things. Uh, tell us about your career going into that movie and the Academy Award Supporting Actor nomination. And who was Michael O'Keefe in, in 1980? Well, you know, in 1972, I got my SAG card. I started working when I was in high school. Uh, I'd already done episodes of like the Waltons and MASH and TV shows like that. Uh, I had worked with Betty Davis, if you can believe it, in a TV movie that wow. Sean Penn's dad directed, Leo Penn. Uh, I'd worked with Joseph Cotton in another TV film. So, you know, I'd been around for a while and, and kind of, you know, was paying my dues the way most actors do that get started. And uh, I had great success with Santini in 78. And the same distribution company, Orion, was putting together Caddyshack in 79. So I was already on their radar, and then I won over Harold Ramis and, and Bill Murray and, you know, and his brother Brian and Doug Kenny, and uh, the next thing you knew, I got the kick. Wow. You caddied in real life as a kid out of all places, Wingfoot in Mamaroneck, New York, home of the U.S. Open in a few weeks, which prompted you to write a very entertaining open letter to the participants. We'll come back to that. But I, I have to ask you, Michael, to reminisce with us, I'm certain, for the millionth time, and I apologize for that. First of all... Is it difficult to accept being most known for a role that you did 40 years ago, despite growing as an actor and having played a hundred roles on TV and film and even on stage since? Well, you know, I had a moment in 2007 and I was doing a pilot for a really great writer director named Mike Binder. And I was at the wardrobe fitting and the wardrobe uh, designer very quickly into the meeting said, you know, I'm a huge Caddyshack fan. And I said, yeah, hey, thanks, you know. And she kind of read me, you know. And as actors, we're always wanting to be known for our range and we're not wanting to be pigeonholed. And, you know, there's a, it's not a problem, you know, to have like a hit movie in your resume. But 
You know, there's a certain kind of, you know, difficulty that it poses if you have the kind of goals that I have as an actor. And she read me very clearly. And so when we finished the fittings, she said, she said do you mind if I tell you why I said that about Caddyshack? I said, no, of course. She said, my dad just died and he had leukemia. And the only thing that relieved the tension for us as a family during the last wow. two months was to sit with him in the hospital and watch Caddyshack. Wow. And when she told me that, you could have knocked me over with a feather. And ever since then, I really came to realize the depth of the love and affection that Caddyshack has in the film-going audience, and not just in America, but, you know, all over the, the world. And because of that, I was like, you know what? Everybody should have my problems. This is a gift, this movie. So I've always been grateful to have been a part of it, but that really did change my perspective about the whole thing. I'm sorry that took 27 years. From 80 to 2007. It's too bad that didn't happen a little <laughs> earlier, right? <laughs> well, look, you know, I, you know, I, I'm just happy that I had, I had the chance to, you know, get on board with some of our American comedy legends like Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, yeah. Rodney Dangerfield, Ted Knight. I mean, these guys are legends. I was fortunate enough to kind of play a straight man to their hilarious antics. And, you know, here we are 40 years later still talking about it. And... I, you know, I've got this story going where I'd like to carry a bag in the U.S. Open. And one of the things I'd like to one of the reasons I'd like to do it is because if I end up do, you know, if I do, do end up getting a bag on my shoulder and I can get a fee, I'm going to donate to the uh, the staff relief fund at the Wingfoot. Because like everybody else, these guys are suffering, you know, during the pandemic. And so I want to try to give back if I can. Yeah, I hope you get a bag. I hope we're watching the U.S. Open in a few weeks times at, at Wingfoot and we see old Danny Noonan carrying somebody's bag. It took it took nine or 10 or 11 weeks to shoot. It was the fall of 1979 in Florida. There have been lots of books written about it. What was it like? Tell us an anecdote that either, I, I, I'm assuming they've all been shared. It's probably not possible to give us a new one, but give us, a, give us one that maybe you haven't talked a lot about over the years. Well, you know, for me, it was like kind of, you know, going to comedy camp. You know, I, I got there the first day on the set. There's Rodney Dangerfield. I say, hey, listen, I'm a fan. My dad's a big fan. He goes, yeah, hey, kid, your teeth are really messed up. You know, my nephew's a dentist. Maybe he could fix them for you. And I, I was like, oh, great. Thanks. That's going to give me a lot of confidence on camera. I appreciate that. And then he kind of read me and he looks at me and he goes, anyway, Florida like a sauna with nets. Huh? Oh, God. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, that started on day one. Chevy was hilarious and completely off the wall on day one. Doug Kenny, you know, I mean, nobody is more beloved than Doug Kenny, uh, you know, in this generation. Not just because he founded National Lampoon Magazine and wrote Animal House and Caddyshack, but because he was one of the most endearing, affable, intelligent guys you could ever meet. And his death was a heartbreaker for all of us. You know, so the poignancy of getting to know him. And, and you know, if you don't know and if your listeners don't know, there's a great film about Doug and Henry Beard, who started the National Lampoon with Doug on uh, Netflix called A Futile and Stupid Gesture, which is a line that Doug wrote in Animal House for the Tim Matheson character. And you, they really captured the zeitgeist of it. And Will Forte plays Doug Young and Martin Mull uh, plays wow. Doug older as if Doug had lived and um, he does the narration of the movie Wow! and it's very meta as they say in the business which <laughs> means there's a lot of breaking up the fourth wall um, and it's really just a lot of fun but they really did get the zeitgeist right about what it was like back then so that would actually be but more so than watching any like Caddyshack documentary or hearing any story from me just go watch 
a futile and stupid gesture, and you'll get a good feel for what it was like. Michael, did you know it was a home run when you were doing it? People ask this question all, all, all the time to those that make great television series that stand the test of time. When you're, when you're doing it, could you feel it at the time, or don't you really know? Oh, no. If anything, you know, we were kind of touch and go. Um, the script had been thrown out after about a week or so, and there was a lot of uh, reorganizing and, you know, on-the-set confabs and improv going on. Uh, once the f- first cut was done, they realized that they missed about three scenes that they needed. We had to go back in and oh. refilm some scenes. So, I mean, you know, it was touch and go there for a long time. And the film was not well-received when it first came out. Right. And um, that was one of, the, one of the things that led to Doug Kenny's depression and suicide was that he really didn't like the film, and, he, and the film was not well-liked mm. by the you know, film-going community. Mm. And that's another thing they get right in the um, Funeral and Stupid Gesture movie. A, a old Doug, Martin Mull, ends up at young Doug's funeral, and, of course, young Doug is there. And uh, old Doug turns to Doug and says, you know, uh, they really like Caddyshack. And Will Forte plays it beautifully and goes, oh, really? Good to know. Oh, boy. Um, so, I mean, you know, those were the kind of things that were going on when we made it and when it was finished. But somehow, I don't know, there's some kind of, you know, the golf, same way the golf gods look down on great golfers when they're in the middle of a great round, that somebody looked down on yeah. us from above and kind of put the whammy on the film going golf, yeah. the next thing you know. You talk about all the improvisation. You and your colleagues have, have discussed the pervasive cocaine use, which was typical of that kind of scene in the 1970s. Would the movie be as funny if the set was clean, or do we all owe Coke some weird debt of gratitude, all of us lifelong (laughs) Caddyshack fans? Yeah, well, you know, my own experience with it and with getting, you know, clean and sober from it is that, you know, I'm a lot better without it than I was with it. You know, there was a kind of prevailing delusion at the time um, there's a great documentary about the 60s in which Abby Hoffman is interviewed, and he's totally stoned. And he's at a party somewhere, like, you know, in some, I don't know, college campus where they've taken over some dean's office. And they're they're interviewing him on camera, and he says, you know, send us the drugs, send us the guns, we're going to have a revolution. And, you know, that was the sort of prevailing mindset from the 60s, which carried over into the 70s. And if you go back and look at the stories of the making of Lenny, the Lenny Bruce movie, or if you know, Thief with James Caan, any of those movies, any of those 70s films, it was everywhere. It was everywhere you look. It was in meetings. You know, it was in restaurants. It might as well have been on the menu at the diner, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we all thought it was making us funnier and smarter and better, and really it wasn't. It was just we were all grating our teeth and, you know, leaving ruts in our pillows in the middle of the night in the hotel rooms. <laughs> so, um, you know, if we had it to do over again, if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't have gone anywhere near that Columbia marching powder. I would have yeah. stayed a mile away from it. The, the famous sex scene, Michael, Danny Noonan and Lacey Underall. Everyone, did I read this right? You said that everyone on the set took their tops off to make everybody feel comfortable? <laughs> Well, you know, the the fact of the matter is that they kind of sprung something on Cindy. They wanted to have a photographer there to do some photos for Playboy. And, you know, the SAG uh, after union just renegotiated our contracts this year. And one of the stipulations was was about nudity and about how it was going to be presented to the actors, what kind of approval they needed from the actors and what kind of time they needed to get the actors to understand what was going to happen so that there were no surprises like that on the set. Had those guidelines been in place, that would have never happened to Cindy and it would have never been an issue. 
So my, you know, my hats off to Cindy because it's a testament to her courage and fortitude that she stuck her, she stuck to her guns, made sure the photographer was not there, and then we went ahead and got a great scene and had a lot of fun doing it. And I thought at the second, you know, I mean, just before we we're going to roll, since there's nothing but you know camera crew guys hanging around on this set. I was like, well, maybe we should all just take our shirts off. <laughs> and, uh, and Harold did too, you know, oh. but you know, like I said, it was Cindy's day. Cindy was the one who really made that happen because she had every right to just say, you know what? You know, I'm out of here. And she could have split. Wow. Murray, Chase, Knight, Dangerfield, you mentioned them. All these guys were brilliant. I mean, brilliant comedic stars. Who was the most serious of them on the set, Michael? And Chevy Chase and Bill Murray supposedly did not get along from some sort of a rift on Saturday Night Live, or is that not true? Is that urban myth? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that rip, that that story about them in the halls of NBC is probably has a lot more to do with high school than UFC, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and they were probably just cats peeing in each other's corner. But by the time they got down to Florida, there was none of that. They were only too happy to be together, and they were only too happy to work hard on the set. Nobody was more hardworking than Ted Knight, though. And Ted was the one real serious professional who, like, held us all to a kind of standard that, frankly, none of us could live up to. Um, Rodney was one of the most endearing, sweethearted, you know, kind-hearted guys you ever talk to any stand-up comedian from the generation after or two generations after Rodney, and they will all tell you what he meant to them because he had a nice, successful thing going in New York with his nightclub where stand-up was done. He would bring, he brought so many guys in there to do their thing and give them a hand up, and so you know, he, he is just beloved. Bill is a complete comic genius and was able to improvise everything he said in the movie on the spot, flawlessly from take one. And Chevy was, you know, a complete, you know, rock star leading man at the time. And they were lucky to have him. And Chevy and Doug were very, very close and very good friends. And so, you know, that was a great opportunity for them to kind of build on that friendship. You know, so I mean... I, I don't know how it happened that I got to be around when that stuff was going on, but it really was lightning in a bottle, and it was fun just to be a part of it. Last Caddyshack question, then I want to find out an update on the caddying at, at Winged Foot. What's Michael O'Keefe's favorite scene in the movie all these years later? Uh, it's got to be Billy Murray lopping the heads off of those flowers and winning <laughs> the Masters of the Rose story. It's got to be. <laughs> That's the quote I still do. Uh, in fact, if I get a bag on my shoulder on this in this U.S. Open, and, and if by any stroke of luck I end up 320 yards from the hole, I'm going to hand my golfer an eight iron and punch it up. That's fantastic. All right, people don't know this. So here you are, 65 years old, I believe, 65, 64, somewhere in there. You wrote you wrote a letter uh, on golf or in golf magazine to the U.S. Open participants. People might remember that the U.S. Open is going to be played in a few weeks at Wingfoot. It's the infamous place where Phil Mickelson had his disaster on the 72nd. You wrote this piece offering to caddy at your old stomping grounds. Uh, Tongue-in-cheek, serious, a combination of both, and, and give us the update of where you are on that with the USGA. I'm totally serious. I'm totally down for putting a bag on my shoulder and bringing somebody home. I caddied there as a teenager, and I trained there as a golfer before I went down to do caddy shack, so I know the course pretty well. Uh, I've been looking at a course map again just to get my yardages right, and I'm down for it. And I also, at the same time, I'm hopeful that if somebody does give me a bag and there's a fee, I'll be able to donate to the staff relief fund for the caddies and for the rest of the Wingfoot staff because, like everybody else, 
they haven't been able to work as much as they could or should in the last six months, and they've been suffering, and this is a good way for me to give back. So when I wrote the piece, you know, I definitely was trying to get a few laughs in. Um, but I'm dead serious about doing it. And, you know, I've already been on the phone with the USGA. They're on board. They're posting videos today of me trying to get somebody to give me the chance to carry their, their bag. And I think, you know, the, the least of their worries is going to be what their caddy tells them when they get out there. These guys are professionals. They know what they're doing. So for me to be there would just be like a privilege and a pleasure, and we could have some fun and help out some of the caddies at the Wingfoot at the same time. And if you were on Phil's bag – Back on that that moment, that, that Sunday moment where he could have completed the Grand Slam and he was too busy, you know, hacking it out of the left side and the hospitality tent, you would have said what to him, Michael? You remember that John Pastor Shanley's great screenplay for Moonstruck when Cher tells Nicolas Cage to not be in love with her because she's engaged to marry his brother. She slaps him and says, snap out of <laughs> There's no reason to coddle these guys. Uh, They're professionals. They should be better than that. uh, Suck it up. Stop wrapping that club around the rough and get get it up on the green. Let's get out of here before we get embarrassed, you know? Great stuff from Michael O'Keefe. He's uh, he's a lot more than just Danny Noonan. What uh, what a great! I was looking at it last night. What a great portfolio. What a great what a great career you've had. And I know that you have much more to give, both on the big screen, the little screen, maybe even on stage. Thank you so much for being with us up here in the Pacific Northwest on Mitch Unfiltered. Hope to be able to watch you at the U.S. Open, and we and we can catch up with you again sometime. Hey, man, love Seattle. Love the Bumper Shoot Music Festival. Had many good times up there. I wish you guys the best. There he is, actor Michael O'Keefe, a.k.a. Danny Noonan. Anything better than Caddyshack? I think not. Our next guest on Mitch Unfiltered, the CEO of the incredibly busy partner of ours, Evergreen Golf Call, Tyler Hay. Tyler, every time I turn around, I see an article in the Puget Sound Business Journal about exciting things happening at your place. What's going on over there? Yeah, Mitch, we just recently acquired a accounting firm, actually Mercer Island based. They've been in business for over 40 years. We just thought that adding an accounting piece to what we do on the wealth management side would make us kind of a one-stop shop for clients. And people like simplicity these days. So we thought it would help simplify people's lives. Did I also read, Tyler, about a fund that you guys raised to invest in local Puget Sound technology companies? Yeah, we also did that. There was a, an article we invested in a um, in a local firm called Fuse. They're a venture capital uh, fund that invests in local tech startups. And so we created a partnership with them. And actually, Bobby Widener, the Seahawks, is involved with that. And there was a pretty cool article on ESPN for your listeners who want to do some light reading. They can find it. And it's exciting. We're, we're excited to be a part of, of what they're doing. Every time I talk to Tyler Hay in person, I almost feel like I'm, I'm speaking with somebody who knows more about sports than I do. So let's get some picks from you. The NFL season is here. The NBA's postseason is revved up. I want an NBA champion and a, a Super Bowl champion. Stick your neck out for once in your life, Tyler Hay. All right, uh, I'll go with. Uh, I know, I know, he's not a love guy by all, all your listeners, but I'll go with LeBron and the Lakers in the NBA. Sorry to disappoint those that are LeBron haters. And then I like the hometown. I like the Hawks. Oh, I think they're going to make on. a run. I know oh, it's a homer stop pick. It. No, oh my God. Hey, 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 Mitch. They're eighteen to one. Find me better Super Bowl odds than that. Okay. All right, eighteen to one on the Seahawks. And as always, we like to say the first step 
to learning about all the great work that happens at Evergreen Golf Call is the website, evergreengk.com, and the free newsletter, correct? That's the way to do it. Yep. We appreciate all your support too, Mitch. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager here in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Intercepted by Larry Smith. King hitting 50%. Romar, Lorenzo Romar from the University of Washington. Lorenzo, congratulations. Your thoughts on the game? What a game. What a game. Marquette is a very good basketball team. We knew all week, we talked to our team about they had no quit in them. And uh, But our guys don't have quit either. And uh, we were, uh, I thought we were a pretty mentally tough team today. Our next guest on Mitch Unfiltered, simply put, is one of my all-time favorite people to cover, to chat with in all the years that I've been doing this. It's hard to believe that it took two years to get him on the show. Here's the head basketball (laughs) coach at Pepperdine University and my friend, Grandpa Lorenzo Romar on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. How's Grandpa Romar doing? Uh, Grandpa is is doing just fine, just fine. Thanks for having me on, Mitch. <laughs> you are the grandfather of how many? Just the one boy, or do you have more than one now? Three. Uh, one of our daughters uh, and her husband have uh, the youngest one, who's two and a half, and then the other, uh, our middle daughter and her husband have two. One's a boy, one's a girl. Five and seven years old. How's Malibu treating you and your family? Are you getting up here from time to time? Still spend some time up here? You know, we do because, uh, again, you know, our youngest daughter and her husband and the grandson, they still live there. And we come up there from time to time. And matter of fact, as we speak, my wife is there visiting them right now. Okay. Great. I don't even know where to begin with you because there's just so much that I want to pick your brain about. And the obvious place to start would obviously be Cunningham or fouling up three in the last <laughs> five seconds. But I, w- but I won't do that to you. Oh, Coach, all kidding aside, I- I've thought about you a lot. With all the racial unrest and stress and sadness and anger the last many months and almost reached out privately to ask you how a guy like me with an audience can help more than just talk about it, it's clearly time to act. I saw the picture of you and your grandson. How do I do my small part in making this a better world for him and his family, Coach? You know, it's – I don't think – anyone of color i don't think african americans are out asking for favors in terms of uh putting us on a pedestal i just believe it's just being aware that god created everyone in his image and we just want it to be equal that's all just just equal just to be treated uh equal across the board Simply put, but yet very complex. But in a nutshell, that's kind of what it is. And just try to be more educated culturally, just to understand that when African-Americans speak out peacefully, Mm -hmm. and I say that again, peacefully, speak out, it's coming from a place of just dealing with something your entire life that you heard about as a youngster and then you never you you begin to experience it yourself and you just kind of go along with it and then 
at some point you feel like enough is enough and you speak out. And when that person or those people speak out, not to lash back at them and call them militants or, or rebels. And I, I don't agree with the, the looting, the rioting and all that. And even some of them are coming from the perspective of we don't know what else to do. And even it's even though it's the wrong way to go, that that would be very, very important. Just just try to understand. And Mitch, I there's a book called uh, The Third Option by a good friend of mine named Miles McPherson. And he talks about being left-handed. And I can relate because I'm left-handed. When you start out in school and you're just writing on desks, all the desks are catered to right-handers. Mm-hmm. You know, so many times I have found myself writing and I just had to balance my pencil because I couldn't rest it on the desk like right-handers could. You know, to go buy simple, to buy a baseball glove, sometimes you had to go to a couple of different sporting goods stores because they didn't sell left-handed gloves, maybe. And it's as simple as that sometimes. It's just... Certain things have just been designed a certain way for one reason or another, and uh, a lot of people don't realize it. The right-handers are wondering why you have, why are you complaining about you have to have your arm a certain way and you need a different kind of desk, you know, because uh, they just don't, they don't see it, just don't understand it. Mm. What's been the last several months like for you? Lorenzo, as you've watched what's happened in Minneapolis, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and then how the uh, the NBA players have gone there uh, about their business in Orlando. Well, it, it started with me with the whole George Floyd incident because that triggered something in me that I didn't know was there. I didn't realize that it had affected me growing up, uh, seeing it, and then experiencing it myself. And when I watched the callous attitude, the, the way that the officer went about murdering George Floyd, it hit something like, okay, we've been trying to deal with this. I've been trying to deal with this, but it can't get to the level where someone can be killed in broad daylight and nothing's done about it. Now, that's a whole nother level now. We know things have gone on in the past, and but this is this is too much and it just it triggered how for so long for me I had been looked at in some places and felt like people were looking at me like my skin color was a was a handicap mm. for me and you, you, like I said you just you went about your business and you did, you didn't say a whole lot about it but then that triggered something like whatever it is that that can't happen this is at a, another level so it went from that to trying to figure out what to be able to do to talk, talking to a lot of people, you know, uh, anger at times, but, uh, just to where I'm now at a point where I just, Hey, we just want equal opportunity and we want to be looked at as, as equal, you know, doc rivers comment was unbelievable about we're not loved back. Why can't we be loved back by the country? And that people can say whatever they want, but that's how you feel. Mm. That's how you end up feeling. So I, I think that you watch all groups, all cultures get together, the ones that were peacefully protesting, the ones that were united, locked arms together, regardless of race, has been a beautiful thing to see. Because that's what it should be. We should all be one. One. It's no no one's superior. It's just we're all, we're all created equal. And to watch 
those type of uh, organizations and uh, protests has, have been good in that people are working together. So uh, that's kind of how I've seen it. Well stated. Lorenzo, we've lost two legendary coaches in the last few weeks. I know that or I'd imagine that John Thompson and Lute Olson each holds a very special place in your heart for different reasons. Let's start with Big John. Having watched up close and personal in the 80s when I was at Syracuse, I, I think personally, if you take the wins and you add in the state of the Georgetown program when he took over, and then you also add the door-opening impact on minority coaches that he had, you throw all those things into the mix, he might be on the Mount Rushmore of coaches. It's tough because you got Wooden and Knight and Coach K and Dean Smith, so I don't know where John Thompson fits. But your thoughts on Big John and any stories that you remember of your, your, your paths crossing? In terms of a basketball coach and what he meant to the game and what – how he tried to get change. I, I I agree with you. He was he was pretty special in, in that regard. Uh, he he had a purpose. He coached with a purpose, and it wasn't just to win basketball games. And when you talk to those kids and you listen to them in interviews, talk about John Thompson. And this is before he passed. They just speak glowingly about how he he helped them so much in, in their lives. And, you know, Allen Iverson says he saved my life. You know, you listen to Patrick Ewing and all those guys that played for him. They are not just the superstars, but the other ones, too, where they were just so appreciative of John Thompson. Uh, when I was with the Athletes in Action group, we had an exhibition game against the 1988 Olympic team with David Robinson and uh, I believe uh, J.R. Reed, yeah. uh, Danny Manning, that group. Yeah. And we played them on a, on a Saturday night, but leading up to that game, we scrimmaged with them several times a week before in preparation for the game. So I got to watch John Thompson, you know, we get to play against his coach, his coaching and watch how he coached his team. And <laughs> wow, it was so impressive because you were going to do what he asked you to do and you weren't going to ask a whole lot of questions. You were going to get it done. And he had a way about him that was very intimidating, but yet very loving. And that's a hard combination to have. And uh, that that was impressive to be around him for a week and watch how he conducted his practices and his interaction with his players. So uh, that, that was that was a great memory for me to, to have. His size was a factor in that intimidation, right? I mean, he was always oh. the biggest man. I mean, I mean, Patrick Ewing would come over or Alonzo Mourning would come over during a timeout, and there aren't many coaches that would look eye to eye with those guys, and he was just a... That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> you look at him hugging those guys, and they're hugging, and, you know, he's got his arm around their neck, and they're up, <clears throat> you know, coddling. He's coddling them like, like their little child, and these are big, big men, you know. It, it just shows how big he was, and, you know, he played in the NBA... He was a man of conviction. He had a total belief in what he was talking about. He had a plan, and uh, <clears throat> he just exuded a lot of a lot of confidence. Uh, and his players picked up on that. He was a defensive guy first, right? Defensive minded. The Big East 
kind of changed. Well, it started with him and all those guys, Louis Connor. I mean, while the other guys had Walter Berry and Chris Mullen and Pearl Washington, he had guys that were tough, that were defense. I mean, I, I said on the podcast the other day, everybody mentions all the great NBA Hall of Famers that he brought to Georgetown. The guy that I remember most was Michael Graham. Remember Michael Graham? I mean, with the, with the bald head, intimidating. <laughs> oh. you, you, yeah, menace, a menacing look he had. Yes. It was, uh, you just knew that you were, that was going to be a physical game when you got into it with Georgetown on the floor. It was, uh, yeah. I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what was a lot of fun amongst a lot of things, different things. When I was with Arizona for a year, uh, being around uh, Sean Miller, sure. uh, he talked about the Georgetown teams because he was at Pitt yeah. when, uh, when, and, and competed against them. And he said it was about as intimidating an outfit as you want to see. He says even with the Big East banquet, you were, it was mandatory to show up for the banquet. And uh, when Georgetown would show up, just the way they carried themselves at the banquet, off to themselves, they didn't do a whole lot of socializing. Uh, they were just intimidating the way they had that run, you know. And John Thompson wanted to make sure his players uh, handled themselves with with respect. Now, someone would say, yeah, a lot of respect. They just started a whole bunch of fights. You know, well, they weren't backing down. That's for sure. Oh, gosh. And similarly to what John did at Georgetown, it's hard to imagine a better job of turning around a program than your longtime foe, Lute Olson at Arizona. Boy, did you have some... Did you have some games with Arizona or not, Coach? We did. We <laughs> did. And, and when we talk about the Arizona games, there was one – I'll never forget when we first – came to, to Washington, the donors, a lot of people would just say, well, Arizona. It was it was all about Arizona. And I even remember uh, a couple of passes were thrown that got through early in some games and people tell me, that's not going to work against Arizona. You know, and that was the team. The other thing I remember is that Brandon Roy could have gone to Arizona. And he said that he would rather, rather stay home and yeah. beat Arizona. And I want to say during Brandon's career, we were able to win four out of seven or five out of seven games, something like that during his career. So that was uh, that was pretty good. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I was going to ask you about that because everybody that's in these parts that remembers the Washington-Arizona rivalry, the Olsen-Romar rivalry on the floor, we don't really talk about because it's not out there for us to see the rivalry that you had recruiting players. I mean, he used to come in here, right? He used to come into Seattle yep. and take Seattle area players back to Tucson with him. That's that's enough to make my hair fall out. Well, Lute was a fantastic recruiter. You go to a gym, and, and Mitch, to set the scene for you, set the stage for you, when you go out recruiting, their games that started 8 in the morning, and back when Lute was, was coaching before they changed the rule that you had to – there was a timeline at night, uh, you, you, you could possibly be in a gym at 11.30, even midnight. And it was not uncommon to see Lute in his late 60s at a gym or early 70s at a gym early in the morning and then that night still there. He he had tradition to talk about. He really knew what he was doing. You know, he knew what he was doing when he was at Long Beach State. He knew what he was doing at Iowa. He was just a fantastic coach and could really, really dazzle you in, in the home visits. Uh, he told Marvin Williams, 
he said to Marvin because they were recruiting him as a as a three man. Sure. He said in 20 years or whatever it was, uh, the the starting three man played in the NBA. Whoever started at the three. Now, wow, that's something to tell a young kid that wants to play in the NBA. Basically, if you start for me, you're going to be in the NBA. That's what history has shown. So he could really recruit. He knew how to coach the game. He could look at his personnel and keep the same system, but tweak his system based on his personnel, which is a gift. Uh, it wasn't just a cookie-cutter philosophy that he had. So he was he was tremendous. I, I want to know from you as we segue to the end here, and I'm going to end with Cunningham because you have to – you, you, I, I just there's no such thing as a conversation with Coach Romar without a little bit of Cunningham at the end. But before I get there, you're you're just not the type of guy that really goes back and and obsesses about the past. And yet, when I watched the NBA playoffs, I was watching the Clippers and the Nuggets the other night, and Michael Porter comes on and he you know he does his thing and he's had some really good games down there in Orlando and he seems like he's coming into his own. I don't know. I, I can't stop thinking about what would have been that next year. Are you are you completely over that or do you let your mind wander sometimes what would have happened that next year with that recruiting class, coach? You know, every now and then it's fun to talk about what if, you know, but but for the most part, yeah, it it's a new chapter. And I think you and I, we had talked before when it first happened, when I was first fired. It was a great chapter in our lives, my wife and I and our family. It was just, it was great. And it ended, it, it, it came to an end. And now we're in another chapter and we moved on. And I remember I told many, anyone that would listen, we hadn't gone to the tournament in five years. And people say, yeah, but you earned the right to stay a little longer. Well, maybe so, but I wasn't bitter in that. In in today's day and age, you you gotta you gotta make the tournament, and we didn't. The only thing I ever wanted, though, was okay, fire us the next year, <laughs> but let us coach this team, and even if we're undefeated, fire us. <laughs> you know, but. Let, let, let's just see what happens because in the past when we had a roster that was more experienced like Thibel and Dickerson and Crisp and Green, those guys were more experienced that year. It would be the first time they would have been upperclassmen and you had some other players and we were able to do do a pretty good job and that's what we were about to have. And You know, not only would we have had Michael Porter Jr., but we would have had his brother who's with the Memphis Grizzlies right now, John Tate Porter, uh, who was also a six foot 10 uh, post player. So, yeah, yeah it, it would have been fun, but it, it, it didn't happen. So, yeah. one will never know. And, and the truth is, he may not have ever played that year had you coached him because he got hurt. Yeah, I mean, he got hurt, That's right? That's exactly right. He got That's hurt. That's exactly right. That's when the back yep. issue yep. happened. Yeah, and he never played yep. really in Missouri. All right. Okay. People have heard me refer to this, and our longtime listeners from back in the radio days might have heard the story before, but it's my favorite. I mean, there's a lot of great Lorenzo Romar stories. There is the story about you and the, the Fab Five. I remember the Fab Five story. I love Houston McTeer turning around backwards and running with you. People don't know who Houston McTeer is. I do. You and I remember Houston McTeer. But the one that always gets me, 
is Cunningham. <laughs> Tell for our audience, our new audience on the podcast that's all over the country, give us just a quick snapshot of who Cunningham was in your youth and what he was all about. Growing up in Compton, you had to know where you could go and where you couldn't go. There were some areas you just wouldn't go because you didn't want uh, gangsters to take your money. You didn't want to get you know, jumped on or whatever. So you just stayed away from those areas. And Cunningham was, uh, I call an independent gangster. <laughs> he wasn't a part of a gang. He was his own gang. And uh, no one messed with, with Cunningham. And uh, Cunningham could play, though. Cunningham had a little game. He was real athletic. And when we would go play on the outside courts in our neighborhood, he would come play and we would always pick him on the team. And uh, he, he was he – was pretty good. Was he big? I don't know the size. What was this? Was Cunningham he was, size? He was no. He was about six two or six three, okay. but uh, built like Kawhi or somebody. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, he just was just was his physique, man. He had a great physique, okay. but uh, he was kind of like our enforcer, the guy that just says, "Hey, if anybody messes with you, you just let me know." <laughs> and uh, you knew that if that were the case. That uh, somebody did mess with you and get out of line, Cunningham would be there. He he would have your back, and uh, he you know we stayed in touch. And finally, we I, I get to a point where I'm playing in the NBA and I'm a rookie, and we come back and we play in Los Angeles. I'm with the Golden State Warriors, and Al Adels, who was inducted recently in the Hall of Fame, was called the Destroyer. He was tough in his own right yeah. from from Philly, yeah. and uh, nobody messed with Al Adels. But yet when we were out there playing. I wasn't getting any minutes, and here we are now in the third quarter, and Cunningham somehow, he maybe intimidated the ushers, but he's sitting right behind our bench in the fabulous form. We're playing against the Lakers, you know, Kareem Magic and all of them, and Cunningham's yelling where I can hear him. He said, hey, put Lorenzo in the game. I mean, just like. He was upset, and he was—he said it repeatedly. And I want to say, no, not now, not now, you know. But I didn't say anything, and Coach Adams ignored him. But uh, he was still our enforcer, even when I was in the NBA. And he took a liking to you as a kid, right? He—he he really liked he did. you, my, and, he, and, he, and he helped keep—he helped keep you guys secure on some level, right? Yeah, he would. He would. If anybody was about to mess with us, he would—he would step in. He just wasn't going to let it happen, and and. Nobody was going to mess with Cunningham. So it was a good one to have on our side that way. But, again, we uh, we evened it out when he went play basketball with us and we get him on our team yeah, to yeah. play. Is yeah. he still around somewhere? I mean, is he still alive? He okay? is. Yeah. He is. My brother talks with him uh, quite a bit through Facebook. And, uh, you know, I'm going to make my way around and see him myself, oh, man, because uh, he, he was great. One day, my, my dream, people say, Mitch, who do you want to interview on Mitch Unfiltered? Who do you want to interview? You want to interview Jordan? You want to interview Marina? Who do you want to interview? I want... A roundtable discussion. I want Lorenzo Romar and Cunningham. I want the two of you guys on the show discussing old time. That's what I want. Forget Jordan. Somebody else can interview Jordan. I want Romar and Cunningham on this show. That's you, what I want. you let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll track him down and we'll, we'll get him on. It is so great to hear your voice. I'm so happy for you and your family. The grandfather of three now and the head coach of Pepperdine. I wish y'all 
all the best. I've always said to you on and off the air that you're one of my all-time favorites. Approachable, respectable, and always willing to stand in front of a microphone and take on the tough questions. Thank you so much. Well, likewise, you you have asked some tough questions over the year, but you're right. You were fair. <laughs> is is Pepperdine fouling up three now in the in the final few seconds, or does it depend on the situation? I suppose I should. No ask questions you. asked. No hesitation. <laughs> we are chopping someone's arm off. We are fouling. Oh, I remember the days when the dogs yeah. didn't do that very often, but okay. One day, one day, the one that cost us, uh, UConn, oh. Richard Anderson hit the three. But, you know, I'm telling you, if you go back, you'll okay. look and see we okay. started fouling after that, and we won a couple of games. Okay, okay. Great to visit yeah. with you, Coach. Thank you so much. My best to you and your family. Thank you for being with us. All right. Thanks for having me. No better guy in the sports world than Lorenzo Romar. I love the man. When you do what we do, you try not to let personal emotions get in the way, and it's damn difficult with Coach Romar. Here we are back on the Zeke's Pizza hotline with, of all people, the president of Zeke's Pizza, my friend Dan Black. A lot of good weather, hopefully more to come here in September. Dan, how are we doing at the 17 locations of Zeke's Pizza? Uh, it's been great. The weather has been awesome, and the further that summer's got along, the busier we've got. There's been more people out and about eating on the patios, ordering beer to take on hikes with them, stuff like that. So, yeah, summer's uh, has been great. And you've noticed a little bit of a difference daytime deliveries. People are getting back into the office again. Yeah, surprisingly enough, a couple of weeks ago, we started to get catering orders, which, you know, that business, we, you and I talked about it, it dropped off as COVID hit, dropped off a cliff. But the past couple of weeks, there's been fairly steady increase in orders. And so, yeah, people are starting to go back to the office a little bit. It's not a ton, but downtown's more active. Mm-hmm. Downtown Bellevue is more active. People are evidently going to the office a little bit. So that's good for us. You guys have always been known for your craft beer selection. Still sending lots of it home to people? Yeah, most popular thing we have going right now is our crowlers, which is draft beer that you can get in a can that you can recycle. Growlers have always been popular for us since we could start delivering those. And as they got really popular, people love draft beer, but dealing with the glasses, the growler glass can be difficult. And so being able to put it in a can where the beer can last up to three or four weeks in it, plus you can recycle it. So as those have come in, those those have become really popular. By the way, I don't know that I've ever asked you this. What's the Black family's go-to pizza pie and beer selection. I'm assuming it's not cheese pizza like my mother, right? <laughs> we like cheese pizza. Um, but, you know, we, we eat enough Zeke's that we tend to focus on the specials that we have going at any given time. And uh, right now we have these great summer pies. We heirloom tomato pizzas. We found a farm out in Fall City called Steel Wheel that supplies us with these incredible tomatoes this time of year. And so we've been ordering the Mountain Baked BLT, which is uh, the heirloom tomatoes, bacon, Asiago cheese, arugula, olive oil glaze. It's super tasty, super fresh, super summery tasting. And then our go-to beers are, are our two flagships. So we order a lot of Zeke and Destroy and a lot of Hop Tropic. And like I say, we've been doing those in Crowlers. And, you know, those are both incredible beers. So download the Zeke's Pizza app. You can order online, of course, or an old-fashioned call. What's the, what's the number to the call center again, Dan? 206. 206- Two eight five eight six four six, and that'll work. You know, all over Seattle, Tacoma, basically anywhere we have a Zeke's, that number works. We got incredible call center staff that makes it super easy. 
especially if you have a complicated order. Most of the orders come on in electronically at this point, but the number works great. Zeke's Pizza, my partner, Zeke's Pizza Hotline, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Protocols that are coming in are still coming in. You know, we, they're not as set as we would like them even going into this first week this time, but they're close. And, uh, you know, we'll have it by the weekend. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a good player. And, and uh, it was a long, long offseason in terms of trying to figure out, you know, how that was going to work out. And we were, you know, we were involved throughout, but yet we moved on, you know, for the most part, uh, well early in the, in the offseason so that we could do the rest of the team. And uh, fortunately, we were able to do that and got some good players. You know, to bring 16 sacks to the to us just just in Benson and and uh, and Bruce is that's a real positive. You know, you know, like. Our guys last year didn't add up anywhere near that. So that's a positive, and, and uh, hopefully we can enhance their play. Looking forward to the, to the battle at running back. You know, we had really good competition. And really, uh, I'm really excited about all our guys. They all can contribute and, and factor in. Well, I guess in some ways the NFL season has snuck up on us. No preseason games, but here we go. Seahawks will travel across the country this weekend to face the Falcons in an empty, cavernous Mercedes-Benz Dome. Our guy Brady Henderson, who also happens to be the Seahawks ESPN insider, is with us, and he will be throughout the season, thanks to Taco Time, who reminds you to do what the Levies do and order ahead. Download the Taco Time app, click in your order and location. It will be waiting for you just inside the door. Here's Brady Henderson. Are you ready to cover some road Seahawks games from your family room? Brady. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I've got the TV set up here. I'm looking at it right now. It's going to be different. It's going to feel like, you know, away preseason games because we typically don't travel for those. Uh, but obviously, they're going to mean a lot more than uh, preseason games. Any light at the end of the tunnel? Anything from ESPN about you traveling, not traveling? Do you expect to be home? All You obviously will go to the games at CenturyLink Field. Yeah, yeah. And we have not heard any definitive word on whether uh, we're going to be traveling later in the season. It does not sound like the door is shut on that um but it i i could easily envision you know not traveling at all so it's all up in the air right now well let me tell you you've done a great job bringing training camp home as you do every single year you have been great with the jedevian clowny story not just you but your cohorts at espn tell us the inside scoop what happened you can you can start at the beginning you can start at the end you can do it as you please were the seahawks truly in the mix as the clock struck 12 and clowny decided to go with tennessee yeah they, they were involved but the as i've been reporting for four or five months now the best shot of of them landing Clowney again really came and went uh, back in March because that's when the best offer to Clowney, uh, their best offer to him came and went. And, you know, as I said back then, they made him an offer. I've recently learned uh, or confirmed what that offer was. It was $15 million. He turned it down because he wanted something closer to $21 million. Uh, I was told that was his asking price. And once he turned that deal down, that deal was no longer that offer was no longer on the table to Clowney because they they took the position that they had to start signing other guys and obviously the pass rush uh, being as big of a need as it was they weren't just going to sit around and wait for Clowney knowing that you know that might drag out all off season so he turned that offer down that's when you saw them sign Bruce Irvin uh, sign Benson Mayoa and so if Clowney was going to come back to them 
it was going to have to be for a lot less than what he turned down just because they had started spending that money elsewhere. So they were not out of it in their minds. They weren't completely out of it. They were still going to hang in there and see if, you know, maybe there was, you know, a last ditch effort there. And there was really no reason to close the door because at the end of the day, you know, the same thing that happened with the Seahawks uh, and Clowney could have conceivably happened to other teams where the offers that were on the table those offers were a lot less uh, as time went on. And so there was no need for them to give up on it, but they knew that the best chance had come and gone just because the best offer to him uh, had come and gone. So he ends up taking less money, Brady, at the end, what, $12 million or $13 million guaranteed with a couple of million in incentives. He takes less than what he could have gotten from Seattle in the first place. Well, I don't even know if if the, the deal he signed with Tennessee includes $12 million guaranteed. And the way that it was worded by uh, my colleague Adam Schefter and others was that it's worth up to $15 million. And whenever you see uh, the, the phrasing up to, that means that the base value of the deal, so in other words, what you typically call the deal, it's a four-year, you know, $80 million deal. $80 million is the base value. So that's the deal not including incentives. And so from the sounds of it, this Clowney deal includes, it's a base value of $12 million with another $3 million available in incentives. And so of that $12 million, I, I don't know what of that is guaranteed, but it would surprise me if all $12 million of that is guaranteed just because you typically don't see a deal like that fully guaranteed. Uh, or at least the base value fully guaranteed. So the bottom line is he ended up taking a lot less money uh, from Tennessee than what the Seahawks yeah. offered him uh, a long time ago. Brady, you've always said over and over again, both to me and on Twitter, the Seahawks believe their pass rush is better than everybody else believes. That's been kind of your phrase over and over and over again. But by virtue of them in the wee hours of the morning trying to salvage this thing unsuccessfully – doesn't that tell us that maybe they're not as convinced that the pieces they have right now heading into Atlanta are enough to be a Super Bowl contending team? Otherwise, they wouldn't have made one last-ditch effort to bring Jadeveon Clowney in. I think the whole thing about them feeling like their pass rush is is adequate, you know, it's, it's relative to the alternative, right? And the alternative was paying Clowney a ton of money and they feel like Clowney would have made their pass rush better. That's an obviously just a, an obvious statement because he would make any team's pass rush better and they wanted to have him back, but they didn't feel like it was such a need that they had to go all in and, and sign Clowney at whatever price he wanted. So that was part of it. You know, they, they were very disciplined uh, in how they approached Clowney. And part of it was because, they didn't feel like their pass rush was as big of a glaring weakness as you, uh, me, Scott Soden, all the patrons, everybody else. <laughs> there were, And there were other factors in that, too. It was, you know, I think they had, I know that they had concerns about Clowney's injury situation. Um, you know, they considered him a guy who was very disruptive, but the numbers uh, will tell you that he is more disruptive than he is productive. And that's, you know, you can see that in terms of the sack totals. Three sacks last year, he has not been a double-digit sack guy uh, in any of his six seasons. And so they liked him. Don't get me wrong. They liked him. They liked how he played through injuries last year. Uh, they liked how he handled himself in the building. I was told that, you know, they had heard stories about him before they acquired him, but that he was kind of a pain in the ass. And they found that, uh, at least in their experience, did not be true. They, they just loved how he conducted himself. Uh, and they loved all the pressure he got. But they had concerns about the injuries and about just the overall production. You know, he wanted $21 million 
per year. That's that's the kind of money that those elite guys get that, you know, they not only have the athleticism and the talent that Clowney has, they also have the nuance and the refinement in their game and they have the sack production. And so they felt like he would have made them better, but they didn't feel like he was so good and that they didn't feel like that was such a need uh, to where they had to really, you know, meet him at his price. One word answer. Yes or no. Is their defensive line and its depth good enough to be a Super Bowl contending team? Yes. Ooh. Okay. I'll let you expand upon that. Yes, because it, it well, and it's a it's a complicated answer. Yes, I believe that they have the capability of having a Super Bowl caliber pass rush. I think that's probably a better way of putting it. The way that that group is constructed right now, they don't have an obvious primary candidate. And you know, look around the rest of the division; they don't have a Nick Bosa, they don't have an Aaron Donald, they don't have a Chandler Jones. So they are definitely going to be relying on a you know sack by committee approach. But that's not – you've got to look beyond the defensive line for that. They've got linebackers who excel at blitzing. They've got a safety in Jamal Adams who is one of the – you know maybe the best blitzing defensive back in the NFL. Guy who had, uh, what, six and a half sacks yes. last season. Yes. Uh, Marquise Blair is another guy that they feel uh, is a really good blitzer. And they also, as I've said – you know, they feel like they can scheme their way to more pressure than they got last year. And that that's not just that blitzing is part of that, but it's not just that. It's the way that they use those guys, the the way that they rotate them, the way that they, you know, have them, you know, what they do at the point of attack in terms of less two gapping and more of an emphasis on getting up the field. So and this goes back to the conversation that you and I had after that Green Bay game, and you asked me, you know, to look at that defense, uh, and you rattled off all the names on that defense and you asked me why you know, they is better? that defensive line capable of only getting 28 sacks? No, right, the answer right. is no. They had way more talent there. Then the takeaway there is that part of the issue was they just didn't use those guys uh, well enough. And I, I think that's part of the optimism this year. Not only they feel like they've got some good players, they also feel like um, you know they can employ those guys in a way that they didn't last year. All right, let me ask you for semi-shortish answers on this laundry list. Otherwise, you're going to miss the Falcons game because we're going to still be <laughs> recording this uh, season beginning spot. Brought to you by Taco Time. Remember, every time there's a rushing touchdown during a Seahawks game, you win at Taco Time, and I'm going to explain the differences with Taco Time this year as a, as opposed to previous years. All right, laundry list of items. Quick takes on them, please. LJ Collier and Jordan Brooks, the last two top picks for the Seahawks, both defensive players. John Schneider has come under scrutiny with his picks recently, his top of draft picks in the last many years. Are these guys going to hit LJ Collier and Jordan Brooks? Well, Collier's going to play a lot. There's no doubt about that. And, um, you know, that's been pretty evident. Just when you look at their roster, he's it's him and it's and it's Rasheem Green in terms of five technique defensive ends. So just by virtue of the fact that they are not super deep at that specific end position, uh, that tells me that he's going to play a lot. And that tells me that they believe that he can be a difference maker for them. Is he going to get 10 sacks this season? No, probably not. Can he have a Rasheem Green type season uh, that Green had last year when he had four sacks after a very similar rookie season of his own to what Collier had last year? Yes, I think that's I think that's possible. Uh, in terms of Brooks, right now he's backing up KJ Wright, and Wright seems to be the starter. I was not totally 100% sure that that Wright was going to make the team just because they drafted his replacement in the first round. He's got a high salary, and they would have saved six and a half million. 
But KJ Wright's on the team. He's the starter. They're going to work Brooks in. And I think the way you could see that is him playing in situations where they need his speed on the field more so than they need Wright's experience. They were too slow on defense last year. That was a big reason why they drafted Brooks uh, because of his speed. Dunbar versus Flowers at right corner as we approach the Falcons game, Brady. Uh, you know, I, I do think it's going to be Dunbar. I think he's their starting cornerback. It's, it's been pretty apparent that he's been the number one guy. They have not they didn't just hand him that job. And so you did see Trey Flowers uh, work in there. You also saw Dunbar show up uh, late because of his you know legal situation back in Florida. He also was not at practice on Monday because he had to miss time. He had to leave the team last week to attend a funeral, and he's still going through COVID protocol. So presumably he will be through that before the game in Atlanta. And, you know, I think that they have seen enough of him, even in a reduced amount of time because of the late start he got. I think they've seen enough of him to trust him to be ready as their starting right corner. And we have not heard anything from the NFL. Nope. That situation is still up in the air. I, I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything on the latest with that. Okay. So okay. Uh, as of now, he's playing, but he, he, there's still a possibility that he could be suspended at some point. I'm worried about the offensive line. I've communicated that to you both on the podcast and off the podcast. On the golf course, I think I said something to you. This Finney thing is interesting. They paid him a little bit of money to bring him over to be the starting center. He's not going to be the starting center as of Monday. Did Posick beat him out? Was Posick good or was Finney bad or both? I think it was both. Yeah. And that was my impression. You know, when they signed uh, Finney to that two year, $8 million deal in March, you know, knowing Justin Britt's uncertain situation, I assumed that he was going to be their starting center. And I thought that was a sure thing uh, once they cut Britt in April. But for whatever reason, Posick has been the guy basically since the, the start of training camp. There really has not been a ton of doubt that Posick would be their starter just based on the fact that he's been working with the number one team. The way that they explained it was that uh, Finney, you know, just had a hard time picking up the offense because he's a new guy, got a lot to learn at center, and there was no offseason program, of course. That could be the case. You know, there is a lot on, on a guy's plate in that situation trying to learn that position. But it's hard for me to reconcile that with what I heard about him, uh, which was that he's a really smart player. And uh, you see, you know, rookie uh, right guard and Damian Lewis picking, you know, having no trouble picking up the offense, albeit at right guard. That's a different situation. But that tells me that it, it was maybe more so a fact that he just was not impressive to them. Uh, and they have a guy in Posick who knows the offense and has been around here for a while. OK, running back carries distribution. For the first game against the Falcons, I know Carson missed a lot of early time, early practice time. Hyde was there. How do you think that this is going to go with Penny on the PUP? I think it's going to be similar to what you've seen in, in over the last couple of years with how they used Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Um, Carson is going to be the guy he, you would if you watch him in practice, you would not have any idea that this guy is coming off a, a you know a major hip injury that ended his season last year uh, he just looks like you know usual chris carson he's the fittest guy on the field and so he looks great and he's going to be their starter and carlos hyde is going to compliment him on early downs and you know that was that was the big difference between hyde between how they're going to use hyde and how they would have used Devonte freeman remember you know they had yeah. offered freeman right. a deal before right. they signed hyde because freeman didn't take that deal freeman would have been more the pass catcher on third down uh, whereas hyde is more of an early down compliment to carson just because with the way that carson runs and as often as they run the football it's just not realistic to hand the ball to him uh you know 25 times a game and expect him to hold up over a the course of a 16 game season who are the wide receivers on the field in three wide receiver sets 
and in four wide receiver sets, Brady Henderson. Well, uh, you know, David Moore and Philip Dorsett, they've been battling for that number three job. There has really not been an obvious winner between those two. And, you know, maybe there doesn't really have to be because, you know, that number three and number four role, it's it's not like there's always a, a clearly defined number three and number four. So when they're on the field, and this is an offense that under Brian Schottenheimer is one of the more frequent, uh, you know, three receiver offenses in the NFL. So it's definitely going to be Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And I think you're going to see a mix of that number three job between, between Moore and Dorsett. Um, if I had to guess, as to which of those guys plays more snaps, at least early going, I would say more uh, because he knows the offense uh, from you know being here three years in a row now. Uh, and Dorsett also missed quite a bit of time with a foot injury that sounds like it's going to be a thing that they have to manage all season. The biggest single question about the offense has been the same over the last many years. And I promised myself that I was not going to use the expression, <laughs> let Russ cook, okay? I don't know where that expression started. I don't even want to know where that expression started. But the the question remains the same. There's not a person who watches this team that does not believe that the Seahawks kind of put him in a straight jacket in the first half of games and then ask him to be the hero at the end after they, they don't like what they see in the first half. They try to establish the run. We've heard over and over and over again them be asked. They've answered it the same way over the years. Do you feel like it will be different this time around? Are we going to see a different style of play calling and handling of number three in the first half of games? Yes, and I think you you hit the nail on the head in terms of what that difference is going to look like. It's not going to be them you know, all of a sudden turning him loose and having him throw the ball 40 times a game. You're not going to see Pete Carroll at 68 years old, all of a sudden change his stripes uh, and turn into Andy Reid and and let Russell throw the ball all over the field like he's Patrick Mahomes. Um, but what you are going to see, I believe, is them, you know, loosen the reins early in games. And I'll give you a stat that really illustrates uh, the way they've been using him early in games. Over the last five seasons, uh, in the first quarter of games, they rank 31st in drop back percentage, which is the uh, percentage of offensive plays where they have their quarterback drop back to pass 31st uh, in the first quarter over the last five seasons. And you're talking about one of the best player, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So I think you could see them, you know, maybe lean on Wilson a little bit more early in games. And the example I always go to is that Tampa Bay game in November of last season that came out throwing on eight of their first nine offensive plays. Tampa Bay entered that game with the league's best run defense. I don't think those two things are only coincidental. And so I think that's what you could see them do is in situations where the game plan and the matchup dictates it, come out of the gates throwing. And it's so it's not just this you know, establish the run, uh, run, run pass sequence that we've uh, become so used to. All right. This is our first chat, our first regular season chat of 16 regular season chats with Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider. It's brought to you by Taco Time. Every time the Seahawks have a rushing touchdown, you're going to win. They're going to change it up a little bit this year at Taco Time, and I'll explain But uh, it's time to get out the Brady-Henderson Index, the BHI. I'll get it started. I'll tell you what I like and what I don't like and what I'm unsure about. I'm unsure about what we just talked about, what kind of play calling we're going to get from the offensive coordinator. So we'll put that in the uncertain department. I like 
A lot of things that this offense has. I love the secondary. If Dunbar stays out of trouble with the league, continues to progress, and earns that job at right corner, I really like their secondary, and I'm okay with their linebackers. I worry about the offensive line early in the season for the first three or four games, getting themselves into some sort of rhythm. Too many pieces on the offensive line to not have a preseason. And I worry all year long about how good that front four is and the depth of that front four is. Now, the other thing that I really like is I like the schedule. I think it's time. I know that people kind of don't love when you talk about assessing the schedule, but I look at that schedule and I see a lot of winnable games considering what we know about many of those opponents. So all that being said, where are we going, Brady Henderson? Are we going back to 10-6-11-5 wild card, maybe a, a win in the postseason and then out in the second round? Or are we looking at a team that's going to go deeper and threaten to go back to the Super Bowl this year? 11-5 and five is the number that jumps out in my mind. And I say that, and on one hand, you know, I think that, that they are more talented uh, than they were last year in, in a lot of areas, and especially, you know, Jamal Adams bringing an all-pro just a blue chip player onto that defense that, you know, outside of Bobby Wagner, they have not had. Um, I think that, you know, the offensive line, even if it struggles out of the gate, I think that it is, it is arguably more talented uh, than it was last year. Um, and, and, and there's upgrades in other spots. And the reason I, I say 11 and five still is I go back to last season and they won so many close games, uh, you know, 10 of their 11 victories, I believe were by one score or fewer. And, you know, Look, it's 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 no secret why they won those games. They have Russell Wilson, who's one of the most clutch quarterbacks in the NFL. That it's just hard for me to imagine uh, that rate. You know, however many games, however many of those close games that they have, it's hard for me to imagine them uh, winning at that same rate. And so that's why you know I think they're more talented. I think that they there was a little bit of I don't know if you want to call it luck, uh, but there was whatever it is. I, I don't think that that rate of, of uh, victories in one score games is going to be a sustainable. Um, so that's why I arrive at eleven and five. But you don't think eleven and five is good enough to beat out San Francisco for the West? I think it could. I think really, it could. you know, look at the history of of teams, you know, coming off Super Bowl losses, and um, you know, a lot of those teams really have the uh, you know the quote unquote Super Bowl hangover the next season. That's not just the thing that winning teams experience. Um, I still have questions about Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, you know, the 49ers are banged up at wide receiver. Um, so, you know, that, that's a roster I, and, you know, they lost one of their best defensive linemen, uh, this off season, um, you know, with that trade that they made early in free agency. So, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say that the 49ers are any sort of like chumps or anything like that. I still think that, you know, they could easily win the division. I just don't think it's a sure thing. And I do, I do wonder about the, uh, you know, the potential for them to drop off. There he is, Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com, Seahawks insider, brought to you by Taco Time all year long. All of our football uh, programs and interviews will be brought to you by Taco Time Northwest. Brady Henderson says 11 and 5. Follow him on Twitter. Can't wait to be with you each and every week after these games. I I gather we will be chatting after a win. A win in Atlanta? Is, is, is the Atlanta game one of those 11 wins? 
Are, are you asking me to bust off the uh, yeah? DHI? Well, I mean, you say okay. you got you got him with a <laughs> you got him with eleven wins. Is the Atlanta yes. game one of them? It is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. That that's a game that uh, I believe when I did my projection, the game by game, that was a game that I, okay. I had them winning, and I did not have to think too hard about that. Thank you, Brady. Thanks for being with us. All right, you bet. Thanks, Mitch. Brady Henderson right there. Follow him on Twitter as here we go. Seahawks at Falcons Sunday at 10 a.m. Did Schneider and Carroll do enough in the offseason? Will the defense be improved enough to make a serious Super Bowl run? Time to start getting the real answers on Sunday morning. Joining us again on Mitch Unfiltered, here's the CEO of Daniels Broiler, Lindsey Schwartz. And I know, Lindsey, boy, the summer is going by way too fast for all of us. And for you guys at Daniel's Broiler, but we still have some time left and some good weather left. Yeah, it sure looks that way. We've been so fortunate to have such a beautiful summer this year. We're hoping that that we get a nice long one. Fingers crossed. Man, it's been fantastic so far. The last time you and I visited on Unfiltered, you talked about the expanded seating at South Lake Union and Leshy. How has that gone for you guys? It's been great. We're really glad that we did it, and we've got as many tables as we could possibly fit outside. And with this great weather, we've been using those tables pretty much every night. So, uh, again, continue to use them for as long as this weather cooperates, which is hopefully for a few more weeks. We've also discussed pickup and delivery. I know that you guys, as you would say, you're not a pizza place, but there's still some opportunity there, including something that might be in the works for Thanksgiving. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, first of all, we're, we're doing more takeout and delivery than we ever have by a lot. And uh, it's worked out really great. I know that, that our customers have been really happy with it. We put a lot of effort into getting the packaging just right and, and uh, getting the items that we make available for that just right. So we're really proud of the job we've done with that. And, uh, you know, in that same spirit, we wanted to make sure that we had a great offering for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has become one of the busiest days of the year for us. Uh, so we'll offer uh, in-store dining, uh, whatever we're allowed to do at that point. But we want to make sure we have a fantastic uh, takeout and delivery option for people who aren't able to get a reservation to come in or who would rather dine at home. So we're, that's all in the works right now. We're going to have really great offerings just like we do in the restaurant and and really nice packaging to make sure that the integrity of the food holds up and everybody can have a great experience on Thanksgiving. Any $40 bottles of Vouv Clicquot left at the Leshire or any of the other locations or are you all out? It's selling fast, but but we're committed to making sure we offer that promotion through the end of the year, that $40 VOOV at Leshi. So we'll have it at Leshi for sure, and uh, if we have enough, uh, we'll see what we can do at the other stores. But uh, for sure, you can get it at Leshi. Lindsey Schwartz, the CEO of Daniel's Broiler World Class Steakhouses. Unfiltered. Episode 107, three interviews in the books, or is it in the book? Oh, it's definitely the books. <laughs> I've never heard in the book. In the book. No one's ever said that, right? But a judge, he a real t- judge, tweeted yeah. us, is it in the book? He thinks it's in the book, right? Well, 
he'll throw the book at you, <laughs> but it's not in the book. It's never been in the book. By the way, are we gonna are the Mariners oh, teasing God. us with some sort of playoff run here? As we record this, the Mariners have won six in a row and they yes. swept the Rangers. Yes. Do I have to start watching and getting excited yes. for playoffs now? Yes, and Kyle <laughs> Lewis is on his way to hopefully the rookie of the year. Right. Come and on. everything good is happening. By the way, as we get into the other stuff, <laughs> remember MitchUnfiltered.com. Three games. Your three games are Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Rams. I'm doing this on memory. Seattle Seahawks, Atlanta Falcons, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus New Orleans Saints. Three picks. Beat the boys. Get them in. Get them in. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com. What do you have over there? Novak Djokovic. Oh, my God. Uh, now, you're a guy who likes tennis. I you, like my you tennis. You played it. You watch it. I played so it. I, have I watch it. some questions for you yes, about this. Yes, I have this. answers. So, for those that, that didn't see it, he had a chance to make history this year at the U.S. Open, but he squandered it away after hitting a judge with a ball out of frustration. He was just mad, and he just smacked. Why would he hit it to the side where people are, first of all? Uh, okay, so what happened was he was defaulted, which he basically disqualified, disqualified right? right? From the rest of the tournament. He was Sunday. mad. He, he and but it's it's a big it's a I mean what he, happened to him is bad. He got disqualified. That's that's huge. Yeah, yeah. he he was mad and he and out of disgust he took a ball that he was not oh. going to use and he hit a line drive to the back, which it will you know back of the baseline, and it hit in the neck one of the judges who was I standing mean, there. And she went down like a ton of bricks. She did. She went right down. Hit it right in the Adam's apple. Oh. The, the, women have Adam's apples, right? They just don't see it. This see is them. not as pronounced, maybe? Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She went down, and, he, and the judge came down and, and disqualified him. The, the, uh, the, the on-court judge came down. The man in the chair, the chair umpire, yeah, came yeah. down, and they disqualified him. It's, and again, he finds a way, he finds a way to be unpopular. Novak yeah. Djokovic. We've talked about this, right? He had that big thing in the middle of COVID where he said, screw COVID, and then everybody got sick. Yep. All the fans got sick. The players got sick. They had to cancel it. He he has, he has he routinely over the years, you've got these other two guys in Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer. The big three are Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic. They all have won like 20-something majors. They're three of the greatest players of all time, and they're on this incredible pace, one versus the other, to see who ends up with the most – all of them are like incredible Hall of Fame players. Okay. Nadal and, and Federer are super popular. They are beloved. Everybody in the tennis world, in the non-tennis world, in the sports world, in the endorsement world, they love Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, okay. even though they are, they are arch rivals. Okay. They love each other. They hug each other. They love each other. Everybody, it's a love fest. <laughs> and then this guy is the third guy. Yeah, the third. This guy and the third guy who wants to be loved. He doesn't like. He, he tries to play it down. Yeah. But he bothers him that everybody loves those two guys, and I got twenty three majors too, and I'm with those three guys, and nobody likes me. So he's aware of it then. Oh, he's it? clearly aware. Okay. He can't quite get over the hump, but then he steps on himself. He does these he things. Can't control himself. He gets thrown out of the U.S. Open for hitting a line drive shot into the Adams apple, non pronounced. Gosh. Yes, Not, that's right. Now, uh, of the is, judge. Is that a new rule? Is that something that's kind of new? I don't know if I've ever even heard of that rule, I'm but sure I don't watch tennis. Been, no, I'm sure the rule. If, if you do something out of frustration and ends up in, impacting physically a judge, I think I think the rule is the chair umpire is allowed to disqualify you, and he decided to do it. I think it was to the discretion of the chair. And now, to Djokovic's, to Djokovic's um, defense, yeah. two things I'll say. A, he was... Not trying to hit her. Of course. I mean, it's clear. I mean, yep. you've watched it. Yeah. He wasn't it's even looking. Clear as the nose. No, yep. he just he just was pissed off at himself and he hit it. That's number one. And number two, 
He's accepted this, embraced it. He has sent out apologies on social media. He ran he's over not, to her. He's not, he was, he's not fighting yeah, this. I right. mean, he could have. He could have run over to her, make sure, sure, and then got disqualified and go, okay, you didn't have to disqualify him. It was an accident. Yeah. And then he could have the next day or two days later written, I, I don't feel like it was fair. I think if, he could have said, if it were Nadal or Federer, would they have been uh-huh. disqualified? I mean, he could have shown some sour grapes in this, yeah. but he didn't. He did not not that I know of. He's just been okay. I apologize to the tennis world. I apologize to her. I apologize to all the officials at the U.S. Open. I'm sorry, and is, I accept my punishment. Is that punishment too severe in your mind? I mean, disqualifying somebody for smacking a ball at somebody—that's pretty harsh. That's severe, especially I mean, when it was an accident. <laughs> right. And but then the flip I side would say, control yourself. I can't help but ask the question that I just asked. If that was Roger Federer. The most loved guy, maybe in all of sports, the most, the nicest gentleman, hell of a sweetheart. Yeah. If he had done that out of just, just by mistake, would they have come down and disqualified him from the tournament, taken him out of the tournament? We'll never know. I don't think they would have. Really? So, but the rule, a rule's a rule. No, but it's it's a rule, but it it provides the chair umpire with some. Latitude. He he, okay. he can choose. It's at his discretion. It was then. his discretion. He did not have to. I don't think, unless I'm mistaken, he did oh. not have to disqualify him. He chose to. I just, uh, sweetheart of a fellow Roger Federer, <laughs> they probably, the, the woman probably would have given him a hug and said, ah, well, social all good. distance is all good. <laughs> yeah, My non-pronounced apple is, uh, you know, Adam's apple is okay. That's a big story. That's a yeah. big punishment for that. Yeah. My turn? Yep. Steve Nash is the new coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Saw that. Steve Nash is now the head coach of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. He's the new coach of the with no prior head coaching experience, and that's what's gotten a lot of people pissed. Charles Oakley's one of them. I saw an interview with him out of, of nowhere. People. Stephen yeah. A. Smith. Okay. Stephen A. Smith says, if this were a black guy, a black former player with no coaching experience, he would have never gotten an opportunity like this to coach Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as the coach of the Nets. And after Stephen A. Smith says that, Charles Barkley says, come on, everybody, including Stephen A. Smith, stop it. We've had a lot of minority player, former players, get coaching opportunities without any experience. He started naming them off. Um, And then Stephen A. Smith said, but they didn't get a coaching opportunity like this. They always got the really bad situations that lost 80 games with no good players. Mm. No African-American with with zero previous basketball coaching experience would have gotten an opportunity to coach Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Steve Nash got it because he's white. Yeah, and it's not as if Steve Nash was at Missouri for 10 years no. leading that program and no. having tons of success. No. Yeah, they just handed it to him. That's what he said. Mike Malone, you know who he is? Mike Malone. Right. No. Mike Malone is the head coach of the Denver Nuggets. Okay. And he's pissed. He doesn't understand, nor do I, why coaches are not allowed to have guests and family members in the bubble in Orlando at this stage of the playoffs when everybody else is. I didn't know that. Yeah. Why coaches? Refs are allowed. Is that right? Yeah. Refs are allowed one (laughs) guest to come in and stay with them in the bubble. Players are now allowed family members. Although LeBron says my my family's not coming, they don't want to. They don't want any part of this. There's nothing to do here, so they're not going to come. We've seen Dad play, play basketball. <laughs> once you got to this stage of the playoffs, players, 
and others, including refs, can have guests. <laughs> Coaches, no guests. If I was a ref, I'd be a tough decision. My <laughs> wife or Piper? I'm re- <laughs> That's a real Sophie's choice right there. So why no coaches? Was that like an was that a mistake? You think? I or? don't know. What? How is that any different? <laughs> I don't get it. That's weird. It's nothing to get. What a weird story. I'm sorry I, to tell you. I didn't know that. All right. Well, we have a lot of RIPs for some reason, so I feel like we should get into them. Okay. If you'd like, Lou Brock. Yes, 81 years old, the the tremendous base stealer of the 1960s and 70s of the yeah. St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, 19 years in Major League. He broke Ty Cobb's all, Major League stolen base record in yeah, 1977. He was, he was the all-time leader until Ricky Henderson came along. Oh, that's right. Ricky Henderson broke – I'm pretty sure Ricky Henderson broke Lou Brock's all-time stolen base record. Was Maury Wills before Lou Brock's? I, I get that confused, too. One of them broke the other one's stolen base record. Oh. Well, that's a good question. I think they played about the same time. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, was that was that the time when Ricky Henderson was super classy about it? I'm when the greatest it, of all time. <laughs> right. Is that, is that the time you're talking about? <laughs> I think something else happened that day, too. The day that Ricky Henderson broke the all-time stolen base record? Yeah. I either no, Did Nolan Ryan maybe throw a sixth no-hit? Something all Some other incredible oh. baseball accomplishment happened on the same day, and Ricky was pissed oh, because really? he wanted his own day. <laughs> yeah, I've always felt bad for yeah. Farrah Fawcett passing away on the same day Michael <laughs> Jackson passed away. Is that true? Yeah. yeah exactly. You uh, didn't even know. Same day as Michael Jackson, of all people. I didn't know it was the same day. Yeah, it was the same day. I'm pretty sure it was Farrah Fawcett. Wow. Anyway, he had over 3,000 hits, 938 stolen bases. and. Do you, First, other, do you have other rest in pieces? Is all is it all in? Well, rest in pieces doesn't sound right. Rest, rest in, in peace, peace, maybe. Rests in peace. Yeah. Yes. Tom Seaver, who I don't, I oh, never yeah. saw play. Oh yeah. So. Oh yeah. If if did if we I, not talk about him in 106P? It was like that night when after we recorded it. So no, we oh. haven't talked about Tom Seaver. Three Cy Youngs, twelve All Stars. Tom terrific. Traded in the Midnight Massacre from the Mets. Uh, to the Cincinnati Reds, joined that Cincinnati Red machine that was was unbelievable oh, in the 1970s. Griffey and that whole crew? Yep, with Griffey and that whole crew. Tom Seaver, gone at the age of 75. So yeah. I asked Larry Stone, who I'm, you're familiar with. Yes, I am. Good baseball guy. Yeah. He, I said, just, Sir Lawrence, I call him. Oh, Sir is Lawrence that right? Stone, yeah. Give me something about Tom Seaver since I didn't see him. And he yeah. actually replied on Twitter. He did. Would you like to hear what he said? Really? Durable, dominant, had the most legendary leg drive maybe ever. Yes. His back knee would famously scrape the ground yes. as he delivered. Yes. Statistically was the best pitcher of his era, and it was a great era. 98% of the pictures ever taken of Tom Seaver when he was playing yeah. show this incredible... This that leg drive? The leg drive where the knee comes down. Jeez. And then to honor him after he passed away, the New York Mets all put a little spot on their knee, on their right Is knee. Is that right? Yeah, dirt spot on their right oh, knee. Oh, that's great. So that was uh, that was a nice gesture on the Mets' behalf. Rest in peace, Tom Seaver. Okay. Any other rest in peace? Mike Sexton Rests. was Mike Sexton was seventy two. He was an American professional poker player and commentator. Yeah, I don't know who that is. He was legendary. He's got a bracelet. He's been to twenty three final tables. Amazing, amazing poker player. Peter King, rest in rest peace. Rest in peace. The jazz musician oh, who's, Jesus. who's 80. He's going to be my guest next week. <laughs> I know. I was like, I saw Peter King. I mean, I shouldn't laugh. This is a guy who his family's probably sad that the jazz musician passed away. But I saw Peter King. I was like, come on, that can't uh-huh. be right. And then Bob Robertson. Oh, yeah. Bob Rob on the day that we're recording. Yeah. 92 years old. Yep. Broadcasting legend of the Northwest. Most known for his Washington State Cougar days, though he was the Rainier's. 
He did all kinds of different things. That you, I think he was the University of Washington. He went to Wazoo in 1964, and then he went to the Huskies from 69 to 71. Wow. Amazing that he that? was the Husky broadcaster. Husky broadcaster. Huh? And then he went back to Wazoo in 1972, where he stayed till 2018 doing both football and basketball. I got one for you. Alex Smith made the Washington football team. I can't call him the Redskins. They're not the Redskins right. anymore. Alex Smith's comeback continues. He made the final roster of the Washington football team. Now, Locke and Forrest said something interesting, but I guess it's not true now. He said maybe they're, he'll just pl- sign for one day to say he made the comeback. Oh, I'm hoping not. I thought he made the team and that he's going to be on the roster and he's vying for yeah. – he's not, he's, not he's not the starting quarterback, the guy from Ohio State is. But I just thought it was Crazy. a cool story that Alex Smith has made it all the way back and he's good enough to be on a final 53, unless I'm wrong, unless it's ceremonial like you say. And the other NFL quarterback news that I want to point out, if you haven't seen Deshaun Watson's press conference – you know Deshaun Watson, the the quarterback of the Houston Texans. Yes, I do. After he signed, did you know that he signed over the weekend a huge contract extension? I didn't know did that. Did you know that Deshaun Watson at one point in his life was homeless? His family did not have a home. Yes, I didn't. He's know. now signed a contract that, outside of Patrick Mahomes, is like the wealthiest quarterback contract of all time. He kind of kind of rivaling. Russell Wilson, hundreds of millions of dollars and all kinds of money guaranteed. If you have not seen this guy since the first time I ever laid eyes on him when he was the quarterback of Clemson, right? Yep. In the national championship game. The first time I ever saw this kid interviewed as a college kid, I fell in love with him. Hmm. There was something about him that was so real and so nice and so down to earth and so lovable. And then he's come into the NFL and had success. He had a bad injury, but he's come back from that. And for all these guys that you don't like, that rub you the wrong way, (laughs) go back and look at this guy's Zoom press conference after he signs over the – have you seen it? No. You've got to watch it. Okay. It is unbelievable. He he can't get out of – he breaks down completely Ah. how – how appreciative he is of all the people that got him. I mean, here's a guy who was homeless and now has hundreds of millions of dollars. His family surprised him on the Zoom call oh, to say, hey, congratulations. So I mean, it, he just he just wows you at every turn. And and you want to find a kid that's super appreciative of the of the benefits, the God-given benefits and the material benefits that he now has. Yeah. Just go watch that press conference. Good for him. You will love Deshaun Watson. I'm rooting for I him. I know we have a quarterback here in the Pacific Northwest who we love and says and does all the right things off the field. We love him too. Go back and look at Deshaun Watson's press conference. It is unbelievable. And then my last, you have, you have, how many more do you have? I just got one more. One more? Yeah. Okay, because I have another one. Yeah, hit it. Can we just pay a little homage to Mike Trout on this episode of Mitch Unfiltered? Okay. Mike Trout, between 106P and 107, hit his 300th home run at age 29. Wow. He now has 300 home runs and over 200 stolen bases. He did it in his 1,235th game. 300 home runs, 200 stolen bases. He is the fastest to that mark in the history of Major League Baseball, eclipsing 1295 games, so 60-some-odd games faster than some guy by the name of Willie Mays. Jeez. Okay? That's some company. He, If he stays healthy, he's only 29. He's going to blow by 600 home runs. He's a career 305 hitter. Let's put it this way. I have said over and over again, the 
despite the fact that I don't like him personally, the greatest baseball player that I ever saw by a landslide was who? Ken Griffey Jr. Yes. I, I don't, in my lifetime, now I'm, I'm talking about like 1975 to present. Okay. I can't speak before 1975. Right. You see Ty can't, Cobb. Can't speak to Mays and Clemente and yeah. all those guys. I'm telling you, from 75 to 2020, from 1975 to 2020, okay. the greatest baseball f- player that I ever saw all around, and I don't think it's particularly close, is Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. hit 284. Now, these are just stats. This doesn't mean everything. Yeah. He hit 284 in his career. Mike Trout is hitting 305. Ken Griffey had one MVP, believe it or not, in his career. One. Wow. This guy at 29 has three, probably going to win his fourth this year, could end up with six or seven, okay? Ken Griffey Jr.'s on-base percentage was 370 in his career. Mike Trout's with 417 right now as of today. Ken Griffey Jr.'s slugging percentage in his career was 538. As of today, Mike Trout's slugging percentage is 582. Jeez. Now, Ken Griffey won 10 gold gloves in his life as a fielder. Yeah. Mike Trout has zero. <laughs> okay. That okay. factors in. Yeah. So when it comes to all around, I still think that Junior was the greatest I ever saw. And now in the same vein as Deshaun Watson, has there ever been a moment either on the field or in an interview situation where you haven't looked at Mike Trout and thought that guy gets it? He's a hell of a guy. He is just the he's a perfect uh, he's a perfect marketing tool for Major League Baseball. He's a great face of baseball. He does and says the right things. He plays the game the right way. Another guy who it's very, very easy to admire. I thought we should pay homage a little bit to Mike Trout after his 300th home run. I don't want to crap on his day and his excitement here, but he's going to have some years, you know, where he's going to try to hang on and he'll have some some old. Maybe. So I, I think that stuff might come down a bit to where Maybe. I mean, Griffey hung on at the end. You know, when he came back to the Mariners, he had no business. We don't know. So. We don't know. But it's so impressive. You know, rem- remember, right. he is going to make a billion dollars. He, he's not going to have to. Let's put it this way. If he holds on at the end of his career, it ain't going to be for money. <laughs> okay? <true. laughs> Unless he's got the world's worst accountant and, and financial yeah. advisor. Right. He's going to have so much. He's going to make so much money, this guy, in his Gosh. baseball career. It's unbelievable. But what a great player from the beginning. He absolutely decimates the Seattle Mariners. He hits home runs against the Seattle Mariners. Like, I mean... I think he's got 300 home runs. I think 185 of them are against the Mariners. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they might be. But anyway, well, good, good, for, good, him, good for Mike Trout. Yeah, yeah. I had one more that I probably should have got in, but pandemic be damned. The 2020 Tokyo Olympic Olympics will go forward regardless of COVID, Japan's saying. Yeah, no, they're going to be the 2021 Olympics. Yeah, but it's technically the t- 2020 yeah. ones because it didn't yeah. happen. So, no, they're, 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 they said it'll okay. take place with or without COVID. It. So got the it. games will kick off July 23rd, 2021. All right, you ready? I got one last one here. A husband and wife in Zambia, who are currently separated, return from a night of drinking with friends. Now, the couple, they each have their own room in the house, and the woman claimed that a rat was in her room. What so, part of Florida is Zambia? <laughs> it's on the uh, east. Southeast coast? Yeah, yeah, right, right around there. Because yeah, yeah. it's got to be a Florida couple. Always, right? yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Wait to hear the story. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So there was a rat in her room. A rat in her room. And she was none too pleased. So she asked her husband to get rid of it, and when the husband refused... She sank her teeth into the man's genitals, causing a major tear. Mr. Musanda was rushed to a Kitway teaching hospital for urgent medical treatment following the incident. No update yet on how he's doing, but a major tear in his genitals. And By the way, going to a hospital that has the word teaching in it, I don't know if I'm feeling too confident about that. Can I go to one that 
they've already learned. Anyway, it seems like a lot of effort, you know, to get back at your husband. Got to be careful not to bite off more than you can chew. <laughs> Officials say the rat wasn't injured. That's good. And he's recently signed a new book deal about his time on Trump's staff. Save your tweets. Trump would be cool with it. He thinks Cohen's a rat, too. All right, everybody? Uh, it's a shame this couple couldn't make it. Their friends say it was really love at first bite. The, 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 the husband said this whole thing was a simple misunderstanding. He asked his wife if she wants to eat at Dick's Drive-In. Another local one for everybody. I guess, yeah, people in St. Louis won't get that one. We're gonna have another. We're gonna have to have another meeting at Marymore Park about the show, the direction of the show. The show's been a lot better since that meeting. I don't know if you've noticed or not. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the meeting where you said we got to stop doing so much local stuff? Now you're doing Dick's Drive-In. Well, you guys convinced talking me talking about Zambia, Washington. Th- this, this is the way to go. You convinced me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't we did get a new cable. That was one thing that we got done after our meeting. All right, that's it. I'm done. I got nothing. You sure? Yeah, that's it. No, I, I really, that's it. Is it time for a shower? Good question. I think it is actually time for a shower, so I'm going to sprint out of your house before I see your family. Episode 107, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, a free month of September for any of you non-patrons. If you just write me to Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, I'll take care of you. And enter your first week's picks in the Beat the Boys contest presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Episode 107 is in the books.